Hello and welcome to the Big League Show. As always, I'm Connor Somerville, joined by Aiden Siliphant, who's above me this time. And this week, we are going to be very hockey heavy. Uh, and to be very hockey heavy, we are joined by potentially the best person in terms of prospects in our program, Rain Hernandez. Rain, how are you doing today? First off, that was one hell of an intro. I'm really humbled and I appreciate it. Uh, I'm doing great. You know, the NHL draft is today and, you know, I've, we've been waiting quite a long time for it because of this pandemic, but, you know, I'm excited and I, I'm excited to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited no to have you. You've done quite a lot in terms of prospect writing and covering all that stuff as my stalker work is uncovered. Um, but we'll dive all in, into that in a second and we'll dive into the rest of the draft as well, probably in another call because he's done a lot um, in terms of writing work, which I want to dive into. But let's start off with the question that we begin each interview with, and that is, what is your first memory of sports? And then what is your first memory of sport media? So I think my first memory of sports is uh, probably just putting on a pair of skates for the first time. Uh, I started playing hockey when I was three years old, and then uh, I played competitively, you know, my entire life. So you know, all of my, you know, great memories have been with the sport of hockey. And I, you know, give all my credit to that. Well, you know, my, like my first memory of, you know, sport media is just simply watching TSN and watching, you know, sports center every morning, you know, before you go to school, you, you know, you eat your breakfast and watch sports center. And, you know, that was a tradition or that was just like something that we would do every day. And, you know, uh, I, I'm glad it brought me here and I'm excited for the future. Yeah, and I want to dive into that in terms of what you did before you came to Ryerson, before you applied. So maybe take us through what your high school experience and like middle school experience was covering sports, because you did do some sports reporting before you came to Ryerson. Yeah, so uh, I think it was probably grade seven or eight when I had the idea of, uh, you know, wanting to be in this field. So I made it like a really big goal for myself to, you know, uh, Ryerson Sport Media was a really, you know, big program that I wanted to get into. Uh, my neighbor was actually part of the first class uh, that got into the program. So when I saw him get into the program, it was like a big goal of mine and I wanted to follow in his footsteps sort of. So it started with that. And then uh, I just did the little things and working my way up in grade 10, I started writing, you know, on my own with my own blog. And then uh, knowing, you know, sport media was such a hard program to get into. I know, you know, uh, you two have probably dealt with it as well that you guys felt that you needed to do something to, you know, get yourself into the program. And for me, I uh, started a online newspaper for my school. So I'd be writing about uh, just the athletics that we'd have because uh, we had a lot of decent sports teams. So I wanted to cover that and, uh, you know, shed light for the people in our school and, you know, what we were doing in the athletic side for Streetsville. Yeah. And that was the, uh, the tiger, correct? Yeah, yeah, you did your research. Yes, I did. Um, is that still going on now, or did that sort of stop once you left? So what happened, funny story, uh, they wanted to, you know, continue it when uh, I graduated, but uh, they ended up screwing it up. So I was like, you know what, just don't do it at all. Uh, I don't want it to hurt the legacy of Isla Tigers, because with, uh, you know, our graduating class, we don't, we didn't really have a big high school. It was only like 700, 800 kids. So our graduating class was pretty small and a lot of the people in that class agreed that you shouldn't give it over to someone because they just might make it into something that, you know, just hinders what we did together. 
I, I completely agree with that. In my high school, we did like a TV show and we were mm-hmm. considering like giving away like our Instagram account to like the previ- the next year. Yeah, and exactly. we're just like, nah, I think we don't want to ruin that legacy as well because we hit the nail on the head with it. We don't want anyone to ruin it. But um, you mentioned your neighbor getting into the program. What kind of advice was he telling you um, to try and help you get in or um, did he teach you anything at all about the program? Yeah, so uh, he's, uh, there was actually two of them. So one of them was my next door neighbor and then uh, his best friend got into the program. He was a part of the first class. And then my other neighbor, he lived like a few streets down. He's in uh, fourth year. So the, the other one that's in fourth year right now, he actually you know, helped me through the entire process, the interview process. Even the day, like the day of my interview, he came up to me, told me like it was going to be okay because I'm sure you guys are really nervous because I was definitely nervous uh, for that interview process. But, you know, as for like about the program, they just talked about, you know, how, you know, the opportunities that you're given in sport media, the different outlets that you can try out. And uh, the one thing they pretty much told us is uh, just to try, try everything and uh, see what you like because you don't know, you know, your opinion could change from year one to year four, you know, so be sure to try everything out. Hmm. Yeah, it's good advice. Do you remember what day you interviewed and who interviewed you? Yeah, I think it was, it was a few days. So I do remember what happened because uh, uh, Michigan uh, got that buzzer beater in the 2018 tournament. So it was the same week. And then, uh, so I wore a Michigan golf shirt and then my interviewer was Dan Berlin. So when I walked in, he was like, wow, you know, you're a big Michigan fan. Congrats on the shot, blah, blah, blah. And then the interview just ended up being just talking about Michigan sports. That's sick. That's great. Yeah. I like that. It's it's a trend we've heard so far as it just turns into a conversation about sports or about like media in general. And it, I guess we're in the golf shirt was probably a bit of a help for you and oh yeah dressed up a little bit so you showed a bit of professionalism I guess which is always would you a good have, thing. would you have worn the golf shirt if Michigan hadn't won that game Ooh, that's a good question <laughs> <laughs> because just because that uh that you know NCAA tournament run was so big and so like you know uh shocking to me because we didn't really have like a an elite team uh I probably still would have worn it just because you know I bleed maize and blue so I think so but because I I know that I didn't want to wear a shirt and tie because uh you know wearing that downtown is such a drag and it's ugh, like going on the train wearing you know a suit is so uncomfortable <laughs> so that that was a big reason that I didn't want to wear it so yeah I probably still would have worn it it's a nice. good touch it's a good yeah touch. it's a great touch it's a good conversation starter, which is huge in the interviews. Uh, do you remember uh, before the interview, you had to do that little written component, like you had 15 minutes to type it out. Do you remember what your question was for that? Yeah, I think the, the question was, um, it was name a sports documentary or a sports film that really inspired you to be in the program. So for me, I'm a really big fan of the ESPN 30 for 30s. So I wrote about uh, the bad boys and it was the Bill Simmons documentary that he uh, he wrote with Jalen Rose. Uh, that was probably my favorite documentary growing up. I think I watched it like a million times. Uh, I'm a big Joe Dumars fan. Uh, a lot of people like the Isaiah Thomas and the Dennis Rodman of that team. But for me, it was Joe Dumars. So uh, yeah, I wrote about that. And then when Dan Berlin also read that, he also brought that up a little bit too. So 
I guess it's the Detroit area that got me into sport media. So, you know, I know Aiden, you like that because you're a Lions fan. So the Detroit oh, area yeah. helps us out. <laughs> so you're a Lions fan potentially? No, no, you're a Colts no, fan. I'm, not, I'm a Colts fan. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, you don't want to do, be a Lions fan. Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, I do hate that people sleep on Matthew Stafford. I, I do think he's one of the most talented quarterbacks in the NFL. He just hasn't had that opportunity. Yeah, he hasn't had the greatest year as well, but that's another conversation. <laughs> Maybe a little later in the show. Yeah. I do want to know, though, how did you get into supporting just these myriad of teams? Like, <laughs> I have the list here. It's all over the place. You like Michigan Wolverines, the Blackhawks, Indianapolis Colts, the Pacers, and Cardiff City, which yeah. I didn't know you were a soccer guy. Uh, yeah, but- I'm somewhat a soccer guy. It's, it's, you know, every now and then I'll watch some championship division soccer. I mean, you know, when we were in first year, I, I would watch the EPL. Cardiff just get just absolute steamrolled every weekend. But, you know, it's part of the struggle. So I'll start off with Chicago. Uh, yeah, so when I was seven, I, uh, you know, being from Mississauga, I'd watch a lot of Mississauga Ice Dogs games and the Mississauga St. Michael's majors, which is a big reason why I'm in a prospects today. But uh, I watched London come into town and, you know, I saw Patrick Kane for the first time. So, you know, I told myself after watching him play, I was like, wherever he goes, I'm going to become a fan. So when he got drafted to Chicago, I hopped on that bandwagon. So, you know, it's ever since I was seven, eight years old, I've been with the Blackhawks. And, you know, after the three cups, I was told I was a bandwagoner. But, you know, I, I hopped on when they sucked. So it's OK. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So, and then with uh, the Colts, same thing. Peyton Manning, Super Bowl. I was probably six or seven when he won. So first time watching football. So after that happened. And a Colts fan ever since, you know, Andrew Luck is still my my goat, so I still have to rep him. And then meanwhile with Michigan, it was uh, so pretty much with hockey, I had always loved the Michigan colors, so I always gravitated towards them. But it was mostly the NCAA tournament run in 2013 with Trey Burke. Uh, that's what put me over the top and become a big Michigan fan. And then that led into basketball too. I chose Indiana as my favorite team because they had Michigan colors. They had a jersey that was you know, relatable to Michigan. So it was also that. So I guess, you know, when people ask about my favorite teams, they think I'm a Midwest guy. So I guess I am. So you're saying Cardiff City wasn't because of Junior Hoylet? No, it wasn't because of Junior Hoylet. It was because, uh, so when I was in grade 11, uh, we went to, uh, I played rugby and we went on a rugby tour to England, Wales, and France. And Cardiff, Cardiff was my, by far the best city I've ever been to, best atmosphere. So I ended up getting some Cardiff City merch, and I've been supporting them ever since. Nice. Uh, what rugby did you play, 15s, 13s, or 7s? So uh, we, uh, our rugby school was actually, like our school for rugby was huge. Uh, uh, we played 15s, and then we'd also play 7s in the fall. Uh, just because uh, our coach and our gym teacher, he actually coaches the U18 team. Like oh, the wow. Team. Okay. So, you know, rugby has just been in our school forever, and then we all hopped on it, and it's uh it's it's one hell of a sport it's really underrated for sure and what position are you i was a scrum half and then uh nice then after a few years i switched to inside center and then in my grade 12 year i didn't want to get hit anymore so i just became the manager (laughs) (laughs) that's a great answer that's a great answer yeah yeah wow i didn't realize you played rugby that's pretty interesting so have you been to many wolfpack games which I will probably won't dive into that entire situation because it's very confusing, but have you been to many of those games or? Sadly, I haven't. Uh, I haven't. Just okay. uh, so 
one of my best friends from high school, he's actually on their practice team. So whenever okay. the, the jump up, I'll be able to watch him play. But my rugby nowadays is mostly just watching university rugby. So I'll watch Queens, UVic, you know, the big schools. And then uh, with, you know, the men's league here, we, you know, Minnesota Blues, they got some good guys. Uh, our best player is uh, I know Lloyd, and he's on the national team. So he was also a Streetsville grad. So I, I like to watch him from time to time. Huh. I, I really didn't realize you had that background. I knew you had the roller hockey background, which we'll dive into in a second, but I didn't realize that you were a big rugby guy. And it sounds like you're just a big youth sports kind of, it's like that middle ground between youth sports and professional. Mm-hmm. So how did you really get into that? Was it through the steelheads or was it through some other sort of avenue? Uh, with youth sports or just in with, like youth sports and prospects? I guess. So yeah, with prospects, it, it pretty much started with the Steelheads. Uh, you know, I was, I sort of like junior hockey more than the NHL from time to time. So I'd always follow, you know, the NHL draft and, you know, always follow the top prospects and, you know, growing up playing roller hockey and also, you know, playing ice hockey, I always looked at the, you know, older age groups and see who were the best players there. I was always a big fan of that. So that's what really got me into prospects. And then, you know, with the youth sports and, you know, just the university athletics. It's just, uh, I feel like it's a different vibe uh, with it. And that's what sort of attracted me to do it because, you know, pro sports, it's uh, a really big fandom and, you know, it's really serious from time to time, but, you know, with the university players and the junior hockey players, they're playing for the love of the game and not for money. So that, that's something that I really enjoyed as well. Hmm. As, and we can hear your dog going absolutely mental. Yeah. Which, sorry. <laughs> That's actually my neighbor's dog. He's in the backyard. But oh, wow. Uh, Lots of dog. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> it's one of those little yippers that are just very annoying. I got a border collie downstairs, so you might hear him bark every once in a while, but Ooh, those are... Back. Holy smokes. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> uh, let's sort of dive into actually now your Ryerson-related work, because you mentioned your eSports work, and you write for eSports.ca. Uh, so what does that sort of entail for you and what have you sort of covered for that? So uh, what started with youth sports was uh, just in first year, I knew that it was really important to, you know, do, you know, different things and, you know, get out of my comfort zone. So I started with the eye opener and started just covering, you know, games every week and, you know, doing it nonstop. And then ultimately it led me to better opportunities and bigger opportunities with youth sports and with youth sports, uh, they, they primarily have me just doing future articles at the moment. And obviously right now it's uh, a little tough because, you know, the eSports season has been canceled and postponed. So, uh, yeah, it was mostly, uh, I've written a few articles for them. Uh, it was, uh, one of them was uh, during the uh, eSports All-Star uh, team versus the uh, World Junior team. So I got to do an article on that. And then also another hockey article with uh, Brett Jacklin, who was, uh, you know, the youngest eSports player this year. So, I got to do that. Uh, yeah, with uh, sports, it's just been a really cool opportunity. They've uh, taught me some real cool stuff and really some important things in terms of improving my writing. And, you know, it's, uh, it's been really great. What kind of advice would you give to someone looking to, you know, join the eye opener or join usports.ca as a writer? Um, something that maybe you've learned throughout your tenure working for them? What would you say to them? Yeah, I think the one thing that in terms of eye opener, it's just to, you know, do as much as you can, just participate as much as you can. And whenever you have free time, uh, just put in the work and, you know, write just game recaps, because ultimately it helps, you know, 
helps your writing, helps your vocabulary, helps, you know, generate some ideas, looking at different quotes, and then ultimately you'll want to do more. And then uh, it'll lead to other opportunities in terms of writing, like feature articles, which is something that I've really, you know, grown to love and love to do. So uh, I think, yeah, the main thing is just to participate and get into, you know, just doing, just uh, doing extra stuff. Yeah, that's a much better question than I was going to ask. Um, <laughs> so I guess with the U sports stuff, has that opened up more opportunities for you or is that like a bit of a foot in the door, would you say? Yeah, I think so because, uh, you know, U sports is such a big, you know, company in terms of sport media, especially for our program because, you know, I guess we're like the biggest school in terms of media stuff. And yeah, I mean, it's given me a lot of opportunities and I've gotten to meet some really cool people and, you know, gotten to improve my writing in ways that I never thought I'd be able to do in this program because, you know, I thought sport media was also just a lot of on-air stuff when I first got in here and whatnot and not a lot of writing. So it's been really cool. Yeah. And I guess we can dive into more of your outside of writers. Actually, we're going to stick with it one more time because you did something that you probably I don't think you do anymore. You did a show with Cameron Tobin, Simon Kistrick, and Drew Hardiman uh, called Manalytics. Yeah. You started that with Spirit Live. What was that like for you? And do you really see that coming back? Do you see you doing more radio in the future? Or do you think that was sort of your only endeavor into the radio sphere? Yeah. So we did one episode of the Manalytics. And then uh, I think we just felt that the chemistry wasn't really there. It was a little too uh bland so to speak just because uh we talk about a lot of different sports which is you know uh good at times but it just in terms of our group uh, simon was strictly pretty much a soccer guy doesn't really dive in other sports well you know drew and i were really big on every sport and then overall just the chemistry wasn't there and then also it was during second semester when you know first year was getting a little hectic with uh curtis's friday class and then the the um the production theory yeah. in Tuesday mornings, that class was absolutely brutal. So uh, I think it caught up to us, but I think in the future, I do want to get into podcasting and radio a lot more, you know, in the system. I know Connor, you're a part of that. Yeah. So we're just hoping to start that up soon. And yeah, I'm really excited for, you know, just podcasting in general. I listen to just a lot of stuff. So I, it's something that I really want to dive into and obviously improve. All right. Two questions. One, when do you plan to get man, uh, not manalytics in the system off the ground? Uh, <laughs> so like, when can people look forward to that? And two, what are your top three podcasts? Okay. I like, I like those questions. So the first question within the system, uh, we were thinking about doing the app, like our first episode before the draft, but since this draft process has been so long and, you know, everyone's heard the same prospects over and over again, I didn't think it'd be a good idea to just say the same things that people have been hearing. Uh, so we were thinking after the draft and maybe do a wrap up. So hopefully pretty soon. I know Kyle really wants to do it. So he can, uh, he'll be looking forward to that. I think top three podcasts though. So number one, I'm probably going to put the Joe Rogan experience number one, but specifically is MMA stuff. That's what I listen to the most. Uh, number two right now is probably fantasy football focus. So Field Yates and Matthew Berry. Uh, fantasy football, I, I breathe right now. So I probably do that. And then number three, number three is good. I think uh, the big league. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, nobody's putting us at number three in the top three podcasts. Hey, you were struggling there. I tell them. Yeah, I'm trying to. 
it's typically right now I'm listening to all MMA podcasts, not like hockey podcasts or oh basketball podcasts. I'll probably put JJ Reddick podcast. Yeah, he's got a really good one right now. So you don't listen to much, much. You don't listen to many hockey podcasts then. No, uh, usually all my hockey stuff I I research on my own, and then I'll listen to a few takes every now and then. But for podcasts, it's mostly uh, fantasy football and mixed martial arts. That's what I usually listen to. Hmm. Yeah, I like listening to, or I liked listening to Joe Rogan on the subway on the way to. Oh yeah. Way to and back because he just does four hour long podcasts, yeah, so you can do long. one in an entire week. But you need to be careful on the podcasts you pick from him. Yeah. Because there's yeah. some of them where, eh, maybe not. Uh, but yeah, those are some good selections. I haven't listened to any of them. I've actually, I should listen to the JJ Reddick one because I've heard really good things about it. Uh, I've listened, I don't know if you listened to the Danny Green one. I think that's pretty good. Inside yeah, the Green I listened room. to a few episodes during the Raptors playoff run. Uh, during the Lakers playoff run, I sort of haven't. But uh, yeah. It, the JJ Reddick podcast, I listened to a little bit when he was on the ringer, but once he uh, went, you know, on his own, that's when I started to listen to it like religiously. Hmm. Yeah, those are some good selections. I'm excited to see what you'll do in the podcast sphere, but let's jump back to some of your actual experience, not in writing, because I want to get into the McKean's puck preps, your stuff with Oakville Blades in a second. What I want to talk about is your roller hockey stuff. Because there are not very many people who, A, know what roller hockey is, mm-hmm. B, pay attention to it, mm-hmm. and C, only know it or know it bec- not because of Nasher. Um, yeah. So how did you find out about roller hockey? Like, when did that sort of start for you? And how did your career get to the point where you're going to a national championship rep- representing Canada? Yeah, so it all started actually with my neighbors. So. I played, you know, hockey competitively growing up and in the summers, I didn't know what to do. So uh, my neighbor was playing roller hockey for a while. And then, uh, so I got into it, you know, fell in love with it instantly. And then, uh, you know, right after that, I instantly started joining tournaments. And then, uh, yeah, it brought me to experiences that I would never imagine traveling across the country, the U.S. And then, uh, yeah, it's just... uh, it's overall a different game too. It's a four on four, uh, no contact either and no offsides, no icing. So it's a, it's a different, you know, type of hockey sort of possession, sort of what, you know, the present day uh, NHL is looking like nowadays. So yeah, just an overall better uh, way to showcase your skills and, you know, your speed. It's a, a more skillful game, I, I feel. Hmm. And you started doing some more writing content for them as well. You covered the North American rock, roller hockey championships that's a mouthful mm-hmm. um as a staff writer and multimedia content producer so what was that experience like for you and i don't know if you were the only person there or if there were more people but what was that working like either as a solo or in that sort of team i believe you did this before you would come to ryerson mm-hmm. yeah so i started it when uh so uh narch is like the biggest roller hockey tournament in the world and uh you know teams from all over the world just go and uh, participate in the event and narch uh, so I wanted to write for them and they were looking, you know, for someone to cover the event. So I wanted to write while I was playing. Uh, so I would play in a few divisions and then I'd also write for them. So I'd be at the rink the entire day throughout the entire event. And then it worked out well. And then, uh, you know, last year uh, they finally promoted me and they brought me out to California for one of the events. And I got to spend 10 days there uh, filming uh, content and also writing. So 
it, it gave me a, a different, you know, perspective on the sport media landscape and being a content producer and obviously doing it for a sport I really love and I'm really passionate about. It's, you know, something I have always wanted. And how big do you think roller hockey will get in the future? Is it something that's going to stay fairly niche or is it going to be on the level of the NHL one day? I don't think it will ever get to the NHL level. I Back in the day, there used to be a professional roller hockey league, but I do think it will get a little bit bigger just because of the players that, you know, started out playing roller hockey or still play roller hockey and have gone on to the NHL and, you know, done great things like, you know, Pat Maroon's a big roller hockey guy. He played his entire life. His kid's playing it now. And, uh, you know, he just won back-to-back Stanley Cups. So it's a really good look for that, com- for, you know, our, our small community. And we all have, like, a, a few players also that's in the NHL that have played the sport. So uh, as long as, you know, we still keep getting guys that, you know, continue to play and continue to play in the summers, I think the, the sport will continue to grow. I think especially this summer, there's been a big jump in how many people are going to play roller hockey because you can't go on the ice. And I work at pro hockey life. We've been sold out of roller hockey, um, roller blades for yeah. like the entire summer. Everybody was, was coming in right away to get them. Um, so yeah, I think there's going to be a big boost of how many people play roller hockey in the future and the pandemic. It helps. Like that's the one advantage, I guess, of, of the pandemic. It might get more people involved in a, a sport that is up and coming now. Um, so yeah that's really cool rain that's really cool how was the experience playing on a on a national level with canada yeah so uh it all started with uh you know playing for the provincial team so there's a big tournament called state wars and it's in the states every year so you know our age group would uh go and play against the other states and you know we ended up winning it a few times so that was pretty cool and then uh once uh you know the national team came for trials for the national team i uh you know, thought I had a really good tryout and then I ended up making the team and the event was actually in China. So, you know, I got to play roller ho- like hockey in China, which I never would have thought of in my million years. So, you know, that's sort of a once in a lifetime experience that I always like to think of. And, you know, the opportunities that it gives you traveling all over the world is pretty cool. Hmm. Yeah. And my cousin had a bit of a similar situation. She played in the CWHL before they folded. Okay. And she was on Markham Thunder, I guess they were at that point. She was mm-hmm. on both Brampton and Markham, but she got to go with them as a third goalie to China, uh, all expenses paid. So she wrote about that experience and it sounds like it was it, very interesting and unique going to a country that isn't necessarily a huge hockey country. Yeah. Like going yeah. to the Olympics. It's exactly. a huge uh, culture shock for sure too, just because, uh, yeah, it's just a different lifestyle as well. And you see, a bunch of mopeds on the side of the road it's it's different and you know for my teammates uh it was you know they're the only sort you know they're the only white guys there everyone else is asian whereas myself i'm i'm asian but like i sort of sort of not because i couldn't speak the language it was overall it was just pretty crazy and you know i wouldn't have imagined playing hockey in china in my million years that's really interesting uh, and we're going to dive into your prospect work in a second, but we only have four minutes-ish left on this call, and you have a lot of prospect work, uh, <laughs> which we have to dive into. But I'm going to wrap it up on this one thing that I – or I guess we could technically do it in two if you're quick, but let's start with Penalty Box Radio. You did a couple articles for them. What was that like for you? Yeah, so uh, once again in first year, I just wanted to do as much as I can, try to get into the prospect bubble. So I ended up writing for Penalty Box Radio. They're 
they're pretty big in uh, the Southeast or, you know, in Nashville area and they got a really big audience. So that got me uh, connected with someone here that has helped me throughout my entire process of, you know, being on prospect Twitter, being a prospects guy. So I got to write a few articles for them, cover the world juniors and do a few prospect work for them. Uh, ultimately it was just some, some way to get my foot in the door and showcase some of my work to other, you know, new sites and, ultimately gave me the opportunity also gave me a lot of good connections so i'm always thankful for them and finally to wrap up this little portion before we take a quick break for our listeners that'll be half a second for us it'll be probably five minutes but this flip snack book thing i found yeah what is that why did you create it can you give me a bit of a rundown on that yeah for sure so this was a a really big project of mine this year so uh the top prospects in the 2004 age group, I sort of had a connection with them. Uh, You know, Rucker McGrory, Hunter Brustowitz, and Pano Fitness, those are three top guys in the age group. Uh, Pano went second overall in the OHL, and Rucker's, you know, one of the best players on the NTDP team this year. So uh, I knew them there. I knew that the Youth Olympics was this year, so it's a really big event. It's only every four years, obviously, and, you know, only a certain amount of kids get to experience it. So I, I knew I wanted to you know, share their stories and their reactions of playing on the national team and playing at that level. So I wanted to write a series of articles for them and also preview the entire event as well, because not a lot of people talk to talk about the Youth Olympics and not a lot of people know it's a thing that exists. So that's something I wanted to show to the hockey community. So I decided to make a magazine and, uh, you know, just also a way to practice my, uh, my feature writing and, you know, learning how to connect with people. So uh, I just ended up creating a magazine and it turned out pretty well. And it's been, uh, it, I think it's really helped me into elevating, you know, what my uh, account can be. Hmm. Let's hunt, Hunter's going to Michigan. Yeah, he is. Go blue. You excited <laughs> about that? As well. Obviously. Yeah. Michigan knows how to recruit hockey players. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's actually, I want to keep talking about this, but we have to take a quick break because we have a minute left on this call and, I don't think you'll have enough time to sort of answer the question I want to ask you, but yeah, we'll be right back very quickly uh, with Rain Hernandez and we'll get to the draft stuff soon because the trade just broke and the Leafs traded down, Uh, but we'll be right back. All right. And we're back to discuss, or I guess finish discussing the flip snack. Is it a flip snack? Yeah. That's how you pronounce it. Okay. It's flip snack uh, book magazine that you created. What was that interview process like? What was it like reaching out to these guys and getting quotes or getting information from them? How easy was that? And were you able to do it just on your own uh, without being affiliated with anyone? Yeah, so uh, it's actually pretty cool how it worked out. So I actually coached against Rutger and Hunter uh, in, in roller hockey of all places. And, you know, Pano, the other guy I interviewed, was the guy that was on my team. So it all worked out in a way. And then, uh, Oh God. Oh, I think he's yeah. lagging. Um, oh, oh no, you're back. You're back. You're, you're good. Back. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is my internet connection's unstable here. I'll turn off the uh, data or my Wi-Fi on my phone. Hopefully that helps. So where did I cut out there? I'll uh, get back into it. Uh, two guys you draft, you play or coached you against coached and coached against, you yeah. coached for. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I coached against them. And then one day they came into the hockey shop I was working at, which is pretty weird because they're from the States. So it turns out Rutgers, like his dad's from here in Mississauga. So 
uh, I ended up hitting them up after I said, next time you guys are in Canada, you know, uh, I'll, I'd like to interview you guys for something I want to do. And they're like, for sure. So a few months later, they came by for a, a holiday Christmas tournament uh, in Toronto. So I, I went by to go do scouting and then also, you know, watch them play. And then after that, I did the interview process with them. And then I ended up making the, the magazine before the, the Youth Olympics started. So that was pretty cool. How much work did it take? Like how much uh, time do you think? Yeah, it took a little bit because uh, it was a little tough at first because uh, I, I didn't have illustrators. So I was just pretty much making a, a magazine from scratch on my own. So that was the tough part. And then also making the articles and then getting uh, some other scouts to give their insights on other players as well. So it took a little bit of time. And on top of, you know, balancing schoolwork and work, it, it was a little bit, but I'm pretty happy with the uh, the final result and, you know, what is, it's led me uh, since. Yeah, and it looks good. We'll link it down below if you want to go and check it out. It's, I think four to five pages, maybe six. That's yeah, not too bad, but it, it's, uh, it was pretty cool. Thank you. Yeah, it was an interesting find. I didn't expect to see some sort of magazine thing that you created. I thought it was going to be some random person who wasn't you, but yeah, it was interesting to find that. Um, Let's sort of wrap up our discussion on you because we have a lot of draft and hockey stuff to get to. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, mm -hmm. But let's sort of wrap up with your work that you've done with Puck Preps, OHL Network, Oakville Blades, and McKean's. So I guess we'll start with Puck Preps uh, because it's something I, don't very, I know very little about. But what do you do for them exactly? Are you a media person or are you like a writer? Yeah, so I'm sort of like a jack of all trades for them. I, I guess it's like my same role with the Oakville Blades. So uh, the OHL network, uh, my main role was to cover the Steelheads, but also cover the OHL draft. So that meant watching, you know, the, the minor midget players that are, you know, prospects for OHL teams. And then uh, so I did that for the entire year. And that, you know, led me to a few feature articles and whatnot. And that's what I think ultimately helped me in just improving my writing all the way and also just improving like uh, the audience that I had because a lot of people ended up uh, tuning into my content after. So uh, once OHL Network actually disbanded uh, a few months ago, uh, I knew I wanted to bring to continue the OHL draft coverage. So uh, Puck Preps is a, a really big site that's uh, up and coming that I really want that they came up to me and they wanted to, you know, uh, partner up with me and get some work done. So it's actually pretty cool. The Pup Preps people are uh, also the same people at Wagon Hockey, which is a pretty big Instagram account now. So uh, that's why it all works out together. So for them, I'm actually, you know, doing the same roles I'm doing uh, at, as I did at OHL Network, which is uh, pretty much, you know, doing feature articles and talking to some of the big prospects, but also doing some scouting on, you know, some of the top players in uh, the entire uh, province. Let's talk about the OHL Network then now, because I believe Kennedy also writes for them. I think mm -hmm. Kyle does or might do. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if he's just working for the London Knights or also OHL Network. Mm -hmm. um, but there are a few people in our program who do it. So how did you really get affiliated with them? How did you either reach out? Did they reach out to you? How did that sort of situation all play out? Yeah, so once again, in first year, I wanted to continue just to do things and keep myself occupied. So I saw OHL Network was starting something up, so I just applied. I said I wanted to do OHL draft stuff and also the Steelheads, and then they got back to me. I ended up joining. So uh, the opportunities that I got from it was pretty cool. Uh, I got to write for an article for Elite Prospects, 
that was pretty cool. Uh, and then uh, it led me to building connections and also just helped my writing and, you know, the junior hockey stratosphere. So uh, overall, uh, it really helped me out and just my growth overall as a writer and also just building connections and just helping my audience grow. So uh, I give all the credit to that. I wish they still stuck together. I don't know what the future is, but uh, good thing I'm at Puck Preps now so I can keep that coverage going. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how these sort of smaller networks survive and how they do with COVID and no hockey being played. Um, but what would you say has been the biggest takeaway from working at Puck Preps and the OHL network for you? I think it's overall just, you know, how passionate people are about, you know, junior hockey. Uh, I knew that a lot of people like to focus on the junior hockey, you know, stratosphere and the environment and, you know, all the players that are coming up, but I didn't know that it was that big. And, you know, there's a lot of people that really enjoy uh, junior hockey entirely. And uh, now that I, I've been a part of it for more than a year, it's uh, pretty cool. It's pretty special. And this is just a random question. How many connections do you think you've made if you had to estimate a number? uh i think i don't know i'd probably say it about like legitimately like people that i, I talk to would probably i'd say 50 maybe like just around there uh i think uh just overall just you know connecting with people through my articles and through my work and you know through my opinions you get to you know meet other people and see what their opinions are like or they're asking me questions it's uh all over the place but I do think I do have a little bit of an audience and you know they help me get better and I also want to provide content for them hmm. and I guess I'll sort of wrap up because I want to finish on McKean's because I think this is the most recent sort yeah. of venture you've made but let's talk about the Oakville Blades because we talked about it a bit with Patrick because he's getting involved with them as well mm-hmm. can you like specify what your role is it has on your LinkedIn you have head of social media and a scout but I've think Patrick said you might be doing some play-by-play color and some more stuff. So maybe yeah, I explain it a bit more. Uh, a little bit of everything. So it all started, you know, beginning in a second year. Uh, you know, one of, uh, you know, a friend of mine uh, played on the team and their social media was, was absolutely awful. Just uh, the worst. It, it looked like they would do graphics on Microsoft Paint, literally. <laughs> and, uh, so they, they needed an improvement. And then, uh, my friend recommended me, so I ended up getting the job, and then I started building up their social media again and helping that out. And then uh, overall, the owner knew that I was into the prospects and I do my scouting, so he asked me to do some, you know, scouting on some minor midget guys that we'd be interested in. And then ultimately, it led me to the opportunity of you know being a scout for them full time. So now I'm looking at players for them, sending them video, and also still doing the social media part. So. I'm still doing a lot for them. It's just sort of like a jack of all trades type thing as well. And then the play by play and color is just every now and then if uh, one guy's hurt or anything, or if the, the one guy's, uh, you know, sick mm-hmm. or feeling under the weather, I just jump right in. And then, so since uh, I'm sort of a part of the head of social media, Patrick wanted to, uh, you know, sort of help his writing as well. So I sort of gave him that platform. I said, yeah, uh, come on by. Huh. That's really That's interesting. Really cool. It's cool to see you too sort of pushing each other forward and 
Uh, we'll link to the Oakville Blades down below uh, as well in the description. We'll link to most of his stuff down below, you know, including his McKeens and which we'll dive into U Sports, his Twitter, which he has, I think you have, what, 1,200 followers now? Yeah, 1,200. Uh, yeah, uh, it was a little weird at first because uh, I lost my account. Yeah. Uh, oh, so- yeah, someone was saying that. Yeah, someone said that on yeah. a previous episode. Yeah, so I lost my account because uh, uh, I had Twitter when I was 12. So uh, I lied about my birthday uh, like a few days before, I guess. Uh, and, and one day I just wanted to change it because I was like, you know what? I'm going to be honest and share my actual birthday. I changed it and then they locked me out of my account. So uh, honestly enough, this is probably the first uh, really weird thing I've ever done is uh, I actually contacted a mystery hacker. I hit him up. I gave him $50 in Amazon money and then he got me in my account back. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was going to ask, how did you get it back? Thinking you took some giant loopholes to get through Twitter and the Twitter support and you just paid a hacker, which that's commitment right there. (laughs) 50 bucks. Twitter support is absolutely awful. They have no idea what they're doing. They never hit anyone back. Just pretty weird because, you know, a lot of people use Twitter. So I (laughs) put some money into their support group. So yeah, I had to do whatever it takes to get my account back because it took me a long time to get to 1200 followers. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but you created a new one in that stopgap, and I think you got up to like hundreds of followers within a couple of days, right? Yeah, I got to, I think, 500, and then I started to use it for like a week or so, and then one day I saw my Twitter account was back. I'm like, whoa, what's this? And then uh, I returned back, so <laughs> thank God. <laughs> it was a risky investment then if you didn't know if you were going to get your account back i know exactly i know i, I thought i was going to get uh, bamboozled you know i thought the guy was just going to take my 50 dollars of amazon money and run with it but he ended up getting my account back so kudos to him i really like the username too bringer of rain oh yeah big, yeah. big josh donaldson guy big josh donaldson guy yeah so you know once he got traded to the jays i was a fan of him on oakland before but you know not as big but when I saw his uh, his username, I knew I had to switch to that. And then also his favorite or his number is 20 and my favorite number is 20. So it all worked out. Nice. Uh, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty, I guess, a lot of people like to mention the bringer of rain because it's pretty uh, creative in terms of user accounts. So I'll take it. It is definitely one of the more creative options <laughs> than that are out there. Um, it's not just somebody's name, which I like, but let's sort of wrap up on your McKean's hockey stuff so we can get into the actual draft and meat of the sports and all that. Um, but basically for people who don't know, they're a prospects website and they're one of the more respected out there. I'd say up there with like some of the insiders and McKenzie and button. Um, so how did you, get involved with them what do you do for them specifically do you write or do you run their social media what is your role with McKean's yeah so it all started with uh, my OHL draft coverage so it also it led to uh, a big account on Twitter's OHL prospects which is Brock Otten he's he's been really helpful throughout the entire process so he actually uh, invited me on to be a part of his big uh, OHL draft polls and NHL draft polls and like the media polls and he asked for opinions so uh, I got to do that. I've been reading them like my entire life, uh, you know, being on Twitter. So it was an honor to be a part of it. And then ultimately he works at McKean's. So he led me th- into that opportunity. And, you know, McKean's is also one of those uh, companies while really respected and also, you know, one of the big hockey prospect websites, they're also really outdated. 
So they're looking to make a new makeover and a new switch into their social media. So they asked me to, to come on and, you know, run their social media page. And then uh, once this draft process ends, I'll probably end up doing the, uh, some feature writing and some scouting reports for them as well. So it's a, it's a little bit of everything there, but those are the two main things. And that's how I got with McKean's. So how long have you been officially a part of McKean's then? Uh, I probably say since May. May, May okay. or June. I think that's when it started. Yeah. That's a pretty good timeline. Just after the pandemic hit. So you're looking for stuff to do probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. But I'm going to, our final question, unless Aiden wants to ask something is what, well, we have a couple more questions, but final on your future. What do you want to do in sport media? What role do you want to fill? Uh, I feel like I've done like a lot of stuff, like, you know, just to overall just build the portfolio and build my skill set. But I think the main thing that I've been like, the one thing is just being a feature writer and being a writer. I think that's uh, overall my best skill and something that I, I still want to continue on improving. And that was, that was my, always my goal from the beginning was to be a journalist and to be a writer. And uh, I think that's where I want to go into the most for sure. Interesting. I think, I got, I think I got one more question and we normally end off with this question. Um, <laughs> what would be, I, I hope that this is the right question. What would be the biggest piece of advice that you would give to someone who is looking to enter the sport media industry? And I'm going to jump on quickly and add in scouting mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think for the, I'll go with the scouting question first, cause it's actually a pretty cool story. So, uh, I asked the same question. I was at uh, the World Junior Showcase. Uh, I was at a roller hockey tournament and, you know, the World Junior Summer Showcase was on. So I ended up going to that. And I saw George McPhee, who at the time was the GM of the Vegas Golden Knights. And I asked him, like, hey, like, you know, I've always wanted to be a scout. What would I, what's something that I should do? And straight up, he just told me, he said, just watch hockey, analyze it, and just keep doing it over and over again and just build your, uh, perspective on the game and continue just watch for different things and that's what he told me and that's what I've done ever since just watch the little things in hockey players and see what they do on the ice I think that's one of the biggest things for uh, for prospects and scouting but as for sport media I think the most important advice that I'd give to someone is uh, don't be scared uh, don't be afraid to take any risks uh, for myself uh, at the beginning of first year I was sort of a little I wasn't really afraid to take risks which is why uh, I sort of like built this confidence that I've had in the program and like with my writing and whatnot. I think it's really important to just try it and do things out of your comfort zone and maybe you'll find something you like. I think that's something we heard from all of our profs in first year. And uh, that's something that I really, you know, took to heart and, you know, have built with my entire process. All right. So I think that'll wrap our, interview portion i think we've hit everything we've wanted to hit and given a real idea of who rain is and everything that he's accomplished which is a lot um but let's move into sports now let's get some of his opinions hot takes because your first overall pick was a hot take uh, who you thought it should be but we're gonna get nba out of the way as quickly as possible because there's a little bit we need to talk about with them uh, specifically, Doc Rivers was hired as the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. What do you two think of that move? Is this good for the Sixers, bad for the Sixers, good for Doc, bad for Doc? What do you think of the move? 
I think it's an exciting time to be a fan of the Philadelphia 76ers now. You know, Doc Rivers was, you know, a pretty good coach on the Clippers, and I still don't really agree with the Clippers firing him. Uh, but, you know, he goes to a team with Embiid now and Simmons, a good young core there. And, you know, he has a, a ton of experience in the league coaching. So I think he's just going to help this team a lot. And, you know, I think a lot of people were saying it right away as soon as he got fired by the Clippers. Hey, watch out for the 76ers. They're going to be right there. Again. They're going to be recruiting him right away. So I think it's I think it's a perfect fit to be honest. I think it's a great great signing by them. Right? I think I'll go on the other side of the argument just to <laughs> make the conversation a lot cooler. Uh, personally, I think Doc Rivers is one of the most overrated coaches in the NBA, uh, just because of I think I think he's a great coach. We saw it last year uh, with the Clippers team that he brought to the first round and actually competed with Golden State considering the lack of talent they had. But I think a lot of people are you know, using that 2008 championship a little too much and carrying a little too much because that big stat line of, you know, leading three separate teams to blow a 3-1 lead is never a good thing to see. That's a little tough. And then also just, I thought a good fit for the 76ers would have been Mike D'Antoni. If they had, you know, switched up the team and, you know, actually put shooters around them, uh, they would have had a, a lot better because, Ben Simmons, obviously we know what he does best and it's pass the ball and, you know, creating for others. And in a D'Antoni offense surrounded with shooters with Ben Simmons as your main guy, that would have been sweet. And, you know, uh, I talked to Nigel about it. He's a big 76ers fan and he was like, yeah, I want Mike D'Antoni. I think like that system would have been sweet, but yeah, I still think Philly's going to be a really good team. I, I just don't like Doc Rivers personally because, uh, you know, LeBron, right. So (laughs) <laughs> All right. If you're a LeBron fan, you're loving what's happening with the Heat, right? Or with the Heat Lakers series right now. How do you think this is going to end? Is this going to go five, or do you think the Heat push it to six, or even seven? The way the playoffs have been going, Lakers and five, Lakers and five, Lakers and five, and then now in the NBA Finals, I think it's going to be Lakers and five. Uh, I think Game Four was the true who's going to win this series. And we saw last night that it was so close and so intense and whoever would come out of that game would win that series because whoever would have won that game just has the momentum. Now I think Miami, Miami was so close and to lose such a close one and such a heartbreaker, you just lose your confidence after that. And that like we saw it in, in game four of the Laker Denver Nuggets series, game four was really close and really tight. And once the Lakers pulled away in game five, they just didn't have that same energy. Uh, I don't know. This it's tough. It's tough. <laughs> it is, um, it is tough. I, I I definitely agree that the Lakers have so much momentum now, mm-hmm. but I think the Heat aren't going to go down without a fight. So I think they're going to win the next one. Mm-hmm. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna say Heat will push it to seven. I'm gonna say Heat okay. push it to seven. Okay. But the Lakers don't blow the three one lead and they win the championship. So I think LeBron is past the choking stage in his career. He just wants to seal the deal now. Um, but I, I think like just the fact that they've been in the bubble for so long, like I don't see the series ending in five games, like the heat are really going to want to keep their season alive. So I think they'll win the next one for sure. And then maybe they'll get lucky in game six again, but then LeBron is just too good. He'll just dominate in game seven. I think. I think it's going to go Lakers in six because I think Goran Dragic is going to try to play in game five. That's going to be a huge boost because he will play. I think Bam's going to play as well. But game six, Dragic is just going to realize he can't do it. And that'll be really, 
deadly in terms of the momentum that they built in that win. So I'm going to say Lakers in six, which probably isn't exactly a bold take, uh, but it'll be interesting to see how that entire situation unfolds and how the series finishes because these are two very, very, very good teams and you can never count out Jimmy Butler because he is absolutely insane. Uh, But we'll see. I I think game's tomorrow night, correct? Uh, Friday. Friday night. Oh, Friday. Wow. All right. So Friday night, we will see whether or not it goes six, whether or not we have an NBA champion. Uh, And let's get into (laughs) hockey because there really isn't any other big sports news unless I missed something. Was there any sort of baseball news, Aiden? Any football? I mean, there's playoffs. Like, Jays got eliminated. Um, there's one. Which, they're, two, they're up 2 nothing. That sucks. We all want the Astros. The to Astros, lose. yeah, I know. They, they got to lose. Um, <laughs> Dodgers won last night against the Padres. I'm kind, I, my hot take is the Padres will win the World Series, so I need the Padres to win against the Dodgers and upset them. Uh, sorry, Kobe, but uh, I think the Dodgers <laughs> might lose this. Um, yeah, there's not really too much other news cam newton has covid in the nfl Devon gilmore, uh, gilmore that broke today that was a little tough um yeah some some teams are still are already looking ahead to the nfl draft the jets yeah lions oh, potentially texans but they don't have a first round pick so i was gonna say <laughs> houston texans fire their head coach yeah texans kind of fire their head coach uh slash hey, gm for you. i have a question for you do you think matt patricia gets fired before the end of the year I'm releasing a podcast tomorrow. Um, I have another one, and it's just all about that. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. Like, the Lions would be stupid not to fire him before the trade deadline because he's not going to be back next year. And also, the thing with the Lions is that their GM and Patricia are so close. They used to work with the Patriots together. Yeah. So, in my opinion, I think that Bob Quinn, the GM, is afraid to fire Matt Patricia just because they're so close. But the thing is, if you keep them, like, they're not going to be trading away guys like Marvin Jones at the trade deadline, guys like may potentially Matthew Stafford at the deadline, or guys that they have expiring because they know that they have to win this year to keep their jobs. Yeah. But if you're, if you're looking ahead to the future, now is the time to, to move on from a guy like Marvin Jones. And Patricia's just done such a bad job. He is 10-25-1. I got to say this. The Lions were 9-7 and seven Jim in Caldwell. Jim Caldwell's last year yeah. as a Lion. And Bob Quinn came out and said that nine and seven wasn't good enough. So he goes out and he makes a change. He gets Matt Patricia. Patricia has won 10 games in four years. <laughs> it's been tough. It's been tough. Yeah. You know, Note to young it. people watching this podcast. Don't support teams that wear blue and white. Yeah. <laughs> do it. Unless it's the Tampa Bay Lightning. Don't yeah, unless it's the Tampa Bay Lightning. Even yeah. the Colts, man. Like we have a good team and then, Andrew Luck retires and my whole world crumbles. Like, oh my goodness! Like, only I've ever been so sad in my life when he retired. And like, yeah, that I, I can't even imagine. That's really tough. Yeah, just hurts you, man. <laughs> you know who was also sad when someone retired? Somehow the Philadelphia Flyers, because Matt Niskanen announced his retirement. Uh, he's, I believe, only thirty-one. He is one year left on a. Five point with a five point four million dollar AAV. The rumors are that they're not going to have him file the papers. That he's just they're just going to put him as suspended 
in the same way that Dustin Bufflin was suspended so that if he wants to return at some point, he can. But what do you guys think of that retirement? That came really out of nowhere. Yeah, you're right. It did come out of nowhere. I, I didn't expect it. Um, I don't know. Did he even give like a reason as to why? Like, he just said he was done. He, yeah, like I mean, he's got his cup. He won the cup in Washington. He had a good tenure in Pittsburgh. Uh, he played well last year too. I think he put up over thirty points in Philadelphia, uh, playing big minutes, penalty kill minutes. Um, it sucks for the Flyers because now they have to go out and find a, a replacement. I know they just signed uh, or they re-signed Justin Braun yesterday just to solidify that back end a little bit. But I think they got some question marks like Robert Haig might now sneak into your top four, Philip Myers. Like they're not the best defensemen. So I don't know. They're going to have to find someone. Yeah, apparently the decision to retire was a lot of uncertainty around COVID and uncertainty with the NHL. Oh, that is weird. Yeah, I think with uh, the Niskanen thing, though, uh, like on the other side of that argument, it does free up $6 million in cap space for them. And now the Flyers have, you know, opportunities to, you know, go out and get a big fish or even, you know, re-sign one of their younger guys or one of their guys that are on expiring contracts. But the weird thing is, like, I think it would have, you know, affected me a little bit in my decision if I was going to retire or not, if I was in Matt Niskanen's shoes. He's at 9.48, I think, games played something like that, like 950, like you're 50 games away. You're pretty much half a season away from getting to a thousand games, which is such an accomplishment in the NHL. I would have done that first and then retired. Yeah. That's just like, I didn't even think a about big that. accomplishment, like to be so close away from that sucks. I, my theory, he's retiring for a season because of COVID mm-hmm. and he'll return once things are back to normal. Ooh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, he's only like 33, too. He still has a good, you know, he's left in him. And he's, I think, probably still going to collect that money. So Sure. Chase that bag. (laughs) I think think that's potentially what he's going to do. And honestly, I don't blame him. I know he has kids, so he just gets to spend a lot of time with his kids, who right now is definitely going to be a tough time for them because they're either away from – like their friends and he he's able to be around his family a lot and if he likes it great if he wants to go back to playing great uh but i think this was a really interesting move and as aiden mentioned moved into the justin braun signing and that was a big reason why they did that so we'll see whether or not they make any more additions or if they're good with what they have now but yeah it's that was just the beginning of all the crazy crazy roster moves which we can't spend a ton of time on every single thing because this would be a seven hour show. Um, like I Rodriguez, Brian, Rod, I think it's Brian. Yes. Brian Rodriguez on the Evan, Leafs. Evan Rodriguez. Evan. Who is Brian Rodriguez? I don't know. <laughs> I recognize the name. Maybe sure. Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> He's actually pretty good at color commentary. Now that we brought up, yeah. he works for like two networks, doesn't he? Yeah, it's weird. It's like ESPN and also I forget who, but he's actually pretty good, like in the booth. So I'll give it. I'll give that to him. Yeah. Well, Evan Rodriguez isn't going to get qualified by the Leafs. Carson yeah. Soucy signed a three-year, two point seven five million dollar deal per with uh, Minnesota. The Jets signed Laurent Brassois to one. Who year. is that? Carson Soucy. I've never heard that name. Is a defenseman. 
Um, oh, wow. I Never heard of him. Like 26. Okay. Yeah, around there. Okay. Um, okay. I think he's fairly decent. He's a good, I think he's top four. Based on the money, he should be top four. Yeah. Um, That's weird. Never heard of his name. Okay. All right. Well, uh, Warren Brassois signed a one year, $1.5 million deal. Uh, Brian Elliott signed a one year, $1.5 million extension with the Flyers, which, K. I don't really get that in such a huge goalie market, but yeah. I guess if they like him behind Carter Hart, go for it. Uh, what else happened? Jack Johnson yeah. got bought out Finally. by Pittsburgh. Oh, Jack Shaw. I feel so bad for Jack Johnson. Yeah, I know, me too. Like, me too. it's... Man, too, like, oh, I hate to see it. His parents stole all his money, like, that sucks. That sucks just to be in that position. But, you know, he's in yeah. the NHL, right? So or he, he was in the NHL. So. <laughs> <laughs> he's still getting that money, so that's a good thing. Um, we'll see whether or not he gets another deal. Probably unlikely Yeah. if we're going uh, off of – I think there's a team that will sign him. As well, yeah. <laughs> Which team? I think – Who has a bad GM now? Oh, he's going to Edmonton, isn't he? It, uh, I mean, I think it's just a team that needs some some defensive help, Seattle. and like Seattle's AHL team. <laughs> Seattle's AHL team. <laughs> He'll be the captain there. Yeah, exactly. And don't say a team that needs defensive help because we need defensive help. It's not <laughs> okay, Kyle Dubis. Please, please no. Um, but you could get Jack Johnson for the cheapest deal now. Like you get him like league min, I would say. So it might be worth it. You never know. League min, have you? Have, have you looked at his numbers? Press box. <laughs> yeah, I I know he's bad, guys. I know he's bad. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to say something here. <laughs> he's trying to help out Jack Johnson's career. I see. Him. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Whatever team Jack signs Jack Johnson is probably going to regret it. If we're being completely honest, oh, sure. um, which is not the case with probably uh, Michael Grabner, who got bought out by Arizona for some reason. Uh, he'll be a great bottom six addition to whoever wants to sign him. Uh, hopefully, maybe the Leafs. I've heard their name, name a little bit, but we'll see whether or not that happens. Um, who else got bought out? Oh, Henrik Lundqvist got bought out. And the rumors are he's going to be a Washington Capital. That would They're, be cool. That yeah. would be cool. He will back up Ilya Samsonov, I assume. Uh, I believe it's Samsonov, yes? Yeah, Samsonov. 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 Samsonov? <laughs> I don't know. Ilya. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I can't say Ilya because there's Ilya Sisork- Sorokin or Sisorkin or Shister- however you say his name. Shisterkin. Shisterkin, uh, yes. Shisterkin. Who's yeah. the Islanders guy? Sorokin. Sorokin. There we go. That's what I was thinking of. I think he's Ilya too, isn't he? Yeah, he's Ilya as well. We got a lot of Ilya goalies. Yeah, and they're good. They're all really good too. If you want a goalie, draft an Ilya. Except, yeah. except for uh, Brizgalov. Yes. <laughs> okay, he had his ears. He had yeah. his ears. Two years of Brisgolov and Phoenix. Phoenix at the time, star. So I'll, I'll give him that. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But he's whack. <laughs> and he's the perfect interview. He's, yeah, he's an interesting human being. I'll put it that way. Uh, what else happened? Oli Mata got traded by Chicago to the LA Kings for Brad Morrison, who was an ECHL player. Why? Uh, salary question. Cap salary cap dump. So Mata's contract, I think, is like four mil. Four million, something like that. So it's Chicago three, three point eight, something like that. I think it's three years left at four per. Yeah. So they uh, 
they retained, I think, 700,000. So it cleared up like almost uh, over 3 million for Chicago. So I'll take it. We got to sign Kubalik. So, hey, all the money we can get, right? Yeah. How much do you think Kubalik will sign for? Considering Chicago's cap and, you know, Chicago's cap is always brutal. Uh, you know, it happens when you win three cups and have to pay people, overpay for people just for saying thank you. Uh, I think, I probably think a bridge deal at maybe 5 million, like a two-year deal at 5.5, something around there. And then two years from now, you give them the big deal if you have money then. But uh, that's yeah, it'd be around there. That's an expensive contract. Yeah. A guy mm-hmm. who's only had one good season in the exactly. NHL. But that's yeah. why it's so weird because I know, I know for a fact you won't be asking for like a 4, 4.5. I think it'd be a $5 million deal. $5 million deal, considering, you know, Saw's getting paid the $6 million, right? Uh, he's, I really like him, though. He's one of my favorite players. But, yeah, I think Kubalik is around the $4 or $5 million range around there. Like, it'd have to be a bridge deal, though, because Chicago's contract situation is always brutal. So, you know, it is what it is, right? <laughs> we asked Therese this when she came on, but mm-hmm. we only have a few minutes left in the call, so I'll give you three minutes to answer it. Do you blow up the Chicago Blackhawks? And by blow up, I mean trade Duncan Keith, Patrick Kane, and Jonathan Taves. I'm going to say, I think you trade one of them, but I I, I think you got to let them ride it out, man. Just because it was a dynasty and you had the three cups and, you know, Chicago's pretty mediocre right now. Like they're not good enough to win, but they're not bad enough to tank. So if they traded those guys, though, they'd be good enough to tank or yeah, bad yeah. enough to tank. Good enough, bad enough. Good enough to tank. I think it'd be good enough to tank. Good enough to tank. I think yeah. just out of respect, you have to keep Taves yeah. and Kane. They're lifetime Blackhawks. I think Keith as well. I think you could put him in that category. Do you oh. trade them to try to give them another shot at a cup? Yeah, maybe if they ask. If for they it. want it, yeah, yeah. I think I think you should let them write out their contracts, and then go on from there. Mm-hmm. All right, and. Do you re-sign Corey Crawford then? Ooh, the Corey Crawford one's interesting. So they offered him, I think, one year, I think three point five million around there. I think you do. I think you do give him a contract. I say one a two year deal, and then you know, I they just drafted uh, Camisa, who's a, a goaltender from the National Development Program. So you'd have to wait for him to develop, but. I think you do let Corey Crawford, you know, sort of ride it out, but he's sort of at the back end of his career now just because of the injuries. So I think you give him a one, two year deal and let him ride it out as well. But I think the one person that you do have to get rid of just for the sake of, you know, the franchise, you got to buy out Brent Seabrook. You just gotta, like, he was also like a massive part in the three cups, but at this point he's the one player that that's expendable just because of how brutal that contract is. Yeah. That's going to be, a, a brutal buyout, or yeah. B, cost you a whole lot in a trade. Yeah. Um, you probably give up like a first round pick just to get rid of his contract. Like, literally. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's how bad the contract is. It took Toronto a first round pick to get rid of one year of Patrick Marlowe. Yeah. Uh-huh. Exactly. Never mind however many years are left on Brent Seabrook's contract. <laughs> yeah, I think you'd have to give three first round picks. <laughs> well, in terms of Chicago's case, it was really bad when they traded Bickle's contract, because the Bickle contract was pretty bad, and they had to give up Tavo Teravainen. Yeah. And, you know, Teravainen's now a beast on Carolina. And, you know, it was all because of the Brian Bickle contract. So it happens. 
<laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Chicago does this offseason where they, they try to keep the band together, they blow it up. But, yeah, it'll be something we have to watch and it'll be something, a move that they're potentially regretting, which we're going to get into in a second after this little quick break. All right, and we are back to discuss everything else that's happened in the NHL, which is everything. Um, where do I even begin? I guess we could start with... Uh, Carl Osner got bought out, finally. Uh, I feel like this should have happened like three seasons ago before the contract was even signed. Yeah. But <laughs> um, yeah, that was not a very good situation. Didn't really turn out how Montreal wanted it and it's going to be very expensive for them. Um, Abdicator, just an Abdicator, was bought out by the Red Wings and as I have in the note, the Red Jins. Um well, who else got bought out? Let's see. Uh, Kyle, Kyle Turris got bought out this morning. Uh, so he mercifully is released by Nashville after that situation just didn't work out at all, uh, which is unfortunate to see. And Yeah, it just sucks to see. Um, Nick Bedino got traded and all of his $4 million because he made $4 million after having one good playoff run. Remind mm-hmm. you of anyone, Serge Ibaka? Or not Serge Ibaka, Bismarck Biombo. Um <laughs> Yeah, he was traded along with the 37th pick and 70th for Luke Coonan and the 101st. You guys have anything, any sort of thoughts on anything I've said up until now? Benino, 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 Benino. That's all I can say. I I think with uh, the Advocator one, it was just sort of a weird situation in Detroit. Like he got overpaid for being in a role that, you know, you shouldn't get four million dollars for whatever he was getting paid but i do think he'd be a great fit for any bottom six role just like an agitator and also someone that's sort of like uh like you know the islanders were really effective with their matt martin Suzuki's cal clutterbuck line like i think if Avocator was in that type of role instead of playing a top six role which is obviously not his skill set i think he'll be a good fit yeah he's yeah. a good veteran good on the four check i think if babcock was still the coach of the leaf he would be a, a must yeah. sign. Like he yeah. would definitely be on the Leafs next year. Yeah. His advanced numbers though are trash. Yeah, awful. Just awful. Like he's not even an NHL player. Yeah. Like it's not even a conversation. It's so yeah. bad. But bad. so bad. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if that has any sort of impact if he signs with anyone. Um because for all we know, he could retire too. And honestly, who would blame him? Uh, what else happened? Oh, a guy who also shouldn't have been acquired by a team that shouldn't have acquired him. Uh, San Jose is going with a Martin Jones, Devin Dupnik tandem. I guess they want to go full tank. Like, uh, (laughs) I don't know. Like it was, when I saw that trade, I'm like, excuse me. (laughs) It makes no No. sense. Yeah. Like yes, he got them at like they got him for pennies, but and at fifty retained, but he's terrible. Like he's not good anymore, and you're pairing him with Martin Jones, who is he even an an NHL goalie at this point? I think they're just betting on because I think Dubnik only had like one bad year, right, last year. But before that, he was like 
you know, I a pretty he's had a couple decent, bad years. Two two bad years in a row. I'm pretty sure they're just betting on him to go back to how he was in like 2018, 2017, where he put up like 918, 920 save percentage. So that's the only reasoning I could potentially see as to why San Jose would want him. Um, yeah. They're going to need a minor miracle if they want him to carry them back to the playoffs because Eric Carlson can't turn right and he's getting paid, I think, 11 million bucks, 10 million bucks, something in that range. <laughs> Brent Burns is 35. Mark Edward Vlasic is 34 and isn't good anymore. And you're paying him about nine mil, seven to nine mil. Yeah. Yikes. And that's for like another six years sort of thing. So, Sorry, so you guys are done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they just acquired, it's okay though. They just acquired Ryan Donato too. So he'll add li- something to the Sharks forward group. Um, they acquired him for a third round pick in 2021. But. I don't mind that trade. I, I think San Jose won that trade. A yeah. third round pick okay. for Donato. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's really good. Donato has a, really, a lot of upside. It didn't work out in Minnesota, but hey, you'll have a better opportunity, I guess, in San Jose, so you never know. I like him. All right. Well, I'm skeptical because I think that's going to be a very early third-round pick, but maybe I am completely wrong and eat my words. It's not like I've done it before on this podcast. Um, what else happened? Brandon Dillon signed a 3.9 times four-year uh, deal with... Washington, Washington, not Winnipeg, Washington. Uh, the other guy, what's his name? Dylan DeMello, who signed a four-year, $3 million AAV with Winnipeg. Uh, so there go two of Toronto's options on defense, which right now we're getting to the range where all we're going to get is Radko Gudis, which, yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think of those two extensions? Um, I don't know. I think it's good for both. Winnipeg and Washington. You know, they brought in Dylan this past year, right? Yeah, from San Jose. And yes, I don't know. I think he's a good player. Uh, and then with DeMello, right-handed guy, has some offensive upside to his game. Winnipeg is in desperate need of defensemen. So I don't mind the contracts and the length too. So I think it's two pretty good so- signings. And yeah, like Connor said, two guys off the market uh, that the Leafs could have got. Right. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Dylan DeMello. He's a Mississauga uh, Majors alum, Steelheads alum. He's he's a great defenseman. Winnipeg, yeah, definitely needed defenseman, man. Like, they they were absolutely – it was pretty much just Josh Morrissey and, you know, whoever else was there. His Neil Pionk. Yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting for them. I Somehow they found a way to pull things through from time to time, but – yeah, the Demello contract was needed. So, yeah, I think both signings are good and they're going to benefit their teams in the long run, uh, especially the Demello signing. Uh, I like that a lot for Winnipeg. Uh, he's got, I think he's got really good advanced numbers. So, hopefully, he adds to that top four because apart from Morrissey and maybe borderline Pionk, it is lacking. Uh, but we'll wrap up just non-draft stuff with the two bits of Leafs news, starting with Dennis Malgin signed a one-year league man contract with the Leafs. Uh, I think this is a great little bit of business for the Leafs. 
He's still relatively young. They get him for pennies on the dollar. Um, I saw a projected uh, contract, like his projected contract, according to Evolving Wilds, contract projections were over a million for a one and two year deals. So to get him for under a mil, like I think that's amazing. And they did the exact same thing with Jason Spezza. So what do you guys think of this addition? Do you think that bringing Spezza back to the Leafs and Malkin back to the Leafs was a good move? Do you think that they should have let Malkin or Spezza walk? Where do you sort of stand on these extensions? I think... No, Spezza one was obviously more important. Bringing him back, the veteran guy, he was probably the one, the the most, the player who was most upset um, about you know losing that series to Columbus and not even making the playoffs. Um, and to get him at league men, he didn't even want uh, a bit of an upgrade. He didn't want a a, a raise. He stayed with the seven hundred k, which just shows that he's loyal to what Toronto's doing and. I think at this point in his career, he just wants a shot at the cup. Um, and hopefully the Leafs can give it to him. Uh, Dennis Mulligan, I think we just have way too many of these small forwards who are just like strictly skill-based, and we didn't really need him. I don't want him to be in the starting lineup. I think he's an AHL forward, maybe a healthy scratch guy uh, for most of the season. But if you can get him at Leagueman, I guess it's like, low risk, high reward kind of stuff. So, Yeah, I think one of the big things with Malgin is he did have a very good season with Florida one year, and they're hoping and banking on him being able to get back to that. They're also banking on his ability to play up and down the lineup because he can play pretty much anywhere. So that's going to be big for Toronto. And with how cheap he is, it'll be great for their cap, but It'll be interesting to see what other moves they make and what other forwards they bring in because they've been linked with Wayne Simmons and he's expressed interest in also coming to Toronto. But it would likely have to be under a million and I don't know if Wayne Simmons is willing to do that, but it'll be really interesting to see what happens there. Where do you guys think Wayne Simmons ends up before we jump into the draft content? Hmm. I'm going to say Toronto. I think he's going to take a, a pay cut. And I do think that he would sign for under a million because I think he really wants to come to Toronto and be a big locker room presence of this team. I think he knows what he kind of is at this point in his career. He's not going to be that top six guy. He's a guy you can play power play two, uh, you know, fourth line, but just to be a leader in the locker room, I think that's kind of what he is settled on now in his career. And he just wants to, he just wants to go to a team that has a shot at, at winning the cup. So I think he's going to sign with Toronto. All right, Rain, what do you think? I think the Toronto situation is really intriguing to him. I think Toronto is a pretty good fit for him, but if he's still looking to, you know, get a payday and sort of get some money on his contract, I think Toronto's not the option for him. Uh, Obviously, he'd probably want to win a cup, so he'd probably go to a contender, maybe with a little more cap space, but I don't know who really wants to pay, you know, a lot of money for a guy like Wayne Simmons at this point of his career because the drop-off has been a little noticeable. So I don't know if there's, you know, a team that wants to give him that $3 million deal or that $2 million deal. So, yeah, honestly, I, I sort of would like to see him in Toronto. I think I would too. He'd add a bit of grit and hopefully he can get back to that form that he's had in the past. Um, but, yeah, let's – final trade that we're going to talk about uh, because Elliot Friedman just tweeted 
Max Domi for, and a third-round pick, uh, I believe it was this year, in exchange for Josh Anderson. What do you guys think about this deal for Montreal? And then what do you think about this deal for Columbus? Do you like it? Do you hate it? Where do you sort of stand on? I think Columbus won this trade. And I think Montreal could have got a lot more for Domi. Like Anderson's coming off an injury. He's borderline top six. He was borderline top six on Columbus. He's probably going to play like a third line uh, role with Montreal. Um, Domi, like, I think, I think Montreal was like, okay, we got to get a bit bigger, but Domi can play that. He can play big. Domi can play big. He can get under your skin. Um, he's a gritty guy. Um, and then the fact that you also had to throw in a third round pick to make the trade happen is, it's kind of silly to me. Maybe like, maybe there was another team that was interested in Josh Anderson. Um, and Bergevin kind of just threw in that third round pick just to put like the cherry on top of the deal. But I still think that's a lot to give up. Like Max Domi, in my opinion, is a better player than Anderson. And then you also gave away a third. It, it didn't make, it didn't make sense to me. I, I kind of disagree with that. I think, I think it's a bit of a win-win because I think he's going to play in their top six. Uh, I, from the sounds of it, he's going to slot in the second line right winger. Uh, but the reason I disagree with it is because Domi didn't really have a spot on Montreal. He is, I believe, a left winger or a center. And when you look at their center depth, they have Nick Suzuki, Yasperi Kokaniemi, and Philip Deneau. That's your top nine right there. Those, those are your centers. And Domi isn't going to replace any of them. And then you look at their left wingers, and they have Drouin and Tatar. So are you going to pay him five-plus million bucks for to be like a third-line left winger is ultimately the question. And they took something that was going to be expensive and was going to be a tough negotiation, although both of them likely will be uh, because it's Darren Ferris. And Leafs fans know Darren Ferris very well. Um, but... I think this is a rare win-win. I think he's going to slot into their tops. Uh, Anderson's going to slot into their top six. He's going to be a big impact player for them. And I think Domi's going to slot in second line center on the Blue Jackets, and he's going to be big for their future as well. Uh, and the rumors are, according to Friedman, uh, is it sounds like they're making progress on a contract extension, Domi and Columbus. So we'll see whether or not that gets done in the next few days because they're both RFAs and they're going to have to sign new deals rain what do you think about this trade do you think it's good for both sides uh from my perspective do you think it's better for columbus do you think it's better for montreal where do you sort of stand so i sort of do like the deal for both sides actually i think josh anderson does slide into montreal's top six i think he his floor is a 20 goal guy uh we saw it two years ago this obviously last year he, he dealt with injuries and only played in like 26 games I think but you know before that he was hitting 20 goals 20 goals 20 goals no problem and it sort of gives Montreal a different aspect because they never really have that big winger on the on their side and you know some secondary scoring behind Brennan Gallagher is something that they've been looking for for a long time I think Josh Anderson fits that and personally for Columbus, I think it's a really good win because they ended up getting that third round pick. Although I do like Josh Anderson on the Habs, that third round pick was a little too much, especially in a draft class like this year, which is so deep and 
you know, filled with so many, you know, intriguing prospects. But I think Max Domi is a really good fit in Columbus just because uh, that he – I think he's a center in the NHL. I still think he's a center, but not in Montreal considering after, you know, Nick Suzuki's playoff performance and Jesperi Kokaniemi's emergence uh, in the bubble. So uh, they didn't really have that space for him uh, in the center position, which is something that Domi wants. And uh, Columbus will provide him that opportunity. And I think it's a good deal for both sides. And they've officially made the pick now uh, that was involved in the trade. And they picked Samuel Nazco, Knazco. Yes. Uh, defenseman, 6-1. From Slovakia. He's a really, pretty good defenseman. I liked him. I watched uh, some film on him, got to know him a little bit. I do like him as a prospect. Uh, that's why... I thought the trade would have been perfect if it was a one-for-one, but that third-round pick is just a little too much. But I do love the fit for Josh Anderson in Montreal for sure. All right. Do you want to get into the draft? I'd love to. I'd love to. Uh, Did you watch the actual draft last night, or did you watch the KMN show's live stream? Sadly, I did not. I was running the McKean's uh, Twitter, so I didn't have uh, a chance to uh, get to KMN's stream, but I did watch it on uh, on my TV while I was doing that. So I did ask Kush and uh, Nigel how the show went. So, you know, worked out. Breaking news from Elliot Friedman. Hearing Las Vegas signs Chandler Stevenson to a four-year extension worth $11 bucks. Does Vegas have like twenty more million dollars in cap space than everyone else? I think I think <laughs> Vegas I think Vegas has the same salary cap rules as the LA Rams. Because the Rams just don't listen to the salary cap. They just sign everyone a big extensions, just like Vegas does. Like they're over the cap at this point already. And apparently they're the favorites to sign Petrangelo. That's crazy. So that Vegas money, man, I'm telling you. It's that Vegas money. Who's getting dealt? Money. Apart from Flurry. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, yeah, Flurry. That's only um, 7 mil, though. I don't know. And you're probably signing Petrangelo to uh, 8.5 to 9 would be my guess. I honestly don't know where Petrangelo is going. I honestly don't know. Like, there's always the chance he stays with St. Yeah. Louis as well. I hope he stays. It just sounds Louis like they managed that whole situation, trading for Falk. I think, uh, you know. I think Paul Statsny is a guy on Vegas that could be traded. He's making 6.5 a year. He's yeah. a UFA come 2021. This guy's 34 years old. I think maybe they expect Chandler Stevenson to move up into the top six next year, take his spot. Cody Glass as well. Like Cody Vegas, Glass, exactly. He's coming up. They need to shed some salary for sure. <laughs> so they got to buy out Flurry because apparently no one's going to take him in a trade. Uh, they're going to have to try and trade Paul Stasny, which will likely require a sweetener. They're in a very difficult cap situation if they want to bring in Petro, but I guess if you can bring in Alex Petrangelo, you do it. Um, but we have talked, <laughs> we're just getting, we can just not get to the draft at this point. Uh, so let's do that. Let's go through, we're going to go through the first 15 picks. Uh, Ryan, I want you to give us your opinion on if it was a good pick. 
uh, and whether or not they should have been taken earlier or later. And we'll also talk about all of the Toronto picks, first of all, as well as all of the Chicago picks because you're a Chicago guy. Uh, and we're going to talk about whatever the Devils and Columbus did because, wow. Um, but let's start off. First overall, consensus number one, even though you disagree, Alexis Lafreniere. Was this the right pick for the New York Rangers? Yeah, so I think Alexi Lafreniere is the most NHL-ready player in this, cross, uh, in this draft class, and obviously he was going to be the first overall pick. I just think Quinn Byfield is just going to be the better overall player when it's you know five years from now, uh, just because of the production and the comparison. So, you know, everyone looks at the World Juniors as the, the main thing, but Lafreniere is also a full year older. And, you know, a lot of people forget what happened when Lafreniere was the youngest player on the team, you know, two years ago. He was on the fourth line, didn't play, didn't play much. They relied on the older guys. And that was pretty much what Byfield was this year at the World Juniors. You know, he was that, he was the youngest guy on the team. He wasn't playing a lot. He was just there. So that's why a lot of people looked at the World Juniors. And also, you know, I'm going to take the center over the winger you know, 10 times out of 10 when, I, when I'm starting to build a franchise. But uh, overall, also with Byfield skill set, the uh, size being 6'4", the speed, he's a terrific skater, and he's just an all-around all great offensive player. That's why I think Byfield's better. But as for Lafreniere, I do think he's legit. Like, if he was, if he was a few days older and he was in that uh, draft class last year, he would have been the first overall pick. So – uh, I do think Lafreniere is legit. I think he slides in right away in a New York's top six and puts up maybe 60 points and becomes a Calder Trophy winner. I think he's that good, but I do think Byfield will end up becoming the better player just because of his season. Do you think Byfield and, makes the NHL next year? I hope not. Uh, I hope LA is known not to rush their prospects. So I don't think he, I think he could make the team. Like I think he's talented enough to make the NHL right away, but I think LA is going to be patient with him. Uh, I think they should just take their time. And if Byfield does return back to, say, Sudbury, they have a really good shot of winning the Memorial Cup. They've got a really deep roster with him. But if not, if he goes overseas, that'll help his development just as much, if not even more. So there's a lot of options for him. But I don't think the NHL next year is a one that he should uh, pursue. Interesting. Okay. I heard, I think it was Rachel Dory. It might have been someone else, and she jumped on, on it as well theorized that maybe Byfield should go to Europe next year. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's why I mentioned it. I think, you know, it worked really well with Matthew's development. Um, you know, going overseas, you're still playing against men, against stronger competition, better competition, but it's not the NHL where, you know, the speed's just, you know, just a, a whirlwind for rookies. And we see that a lot. We saw with Jack Hughes this year in Capocaco. It takes a while for some players to adjust. That's why, I think it's, it's uh, good to take your time on certain players. All right, let's move on to pick number three because I think we've sort of gotten your thoughts on Byfield combined with Lafreniere and Tim Stutzel. Stutzla. Stutzel. How do you say it? Stutzla. Stutzla. Tim yeah. Stutzla. What do you think of that pick for the Sens? Was that the right decision or should they have gone with someone else? Yeah, I like Tim Stutzla. Uh, you know, personally, I thought Lucas Raymond, he was the number three player on my list. I think Lucas Raymond was just a little better just because uh, I think Stutzla got the go-ahead just because of his production of playing against a, 
in a legitimate professional league overseas. Whereas, you know, Raymond was also in that situation, but he didn't get the same opportunity as he did. So uh, I love Tim Stutzla. I think he's going to be a great player. I do think uh, the question is whether he can be a winger or a center. I, I think he does have the talent and the smarts to be a center in this league. So it's a good fit for Ottawa. They have, you know, a lot of good prospects already in the system. They have Logan Brown. They have Josh Norris, who they got in the Eric Carlson trade. So overall, it's a good pick for them. I think it, you know, speeds up the rebuilding process just a little bit. And, you know, say next year they don't do very well. They, they get another top three pick. And then there you go. Ottawa's future is set. Yeah, and that's something they've also fast forwarded this morning uh, by acquiring Matt Murray. Uh, which was a pretty big acquisition. They gave up a second round pick today. I think it was 52nd overall and Gundler uh, as well. So I guess quickly, how big do you think that is for their rebuild? And do you like the trade for Ottawa? Yeah. So Ottawa, I think it helps a little bit and it also just helps with, you know, uh, Ottawa does have a little, a lot of prospects in their pool. So that's why trading a guy like John Gruden was okay. And they do get someone that's finally – that could be their goalie for the long run. They're taking a risk on Matt Murray, but Ottawa is also in a position where they can take a risk because they're not trying to win now. They're not gambling on a goalie that could make or break their season. Ottawa sort of wants their season to break. So if Matt Murray doesn't work out, then it's okay for them because, you know, they have options and they can just rebuild again. So, And then if it does work, then it's kudos to them. They just won that trade. So overall, it's a win-win situation for them. Yeah, and then they had to pick one pick after this, but we'll first touch on who you thought was number three and Lucas Raymond. Do you like that pick for the Red Wings? Yeah, I love Lucas Raymond to the Red Wings. Uh, I, I thought he's, you know, the third most talented player in this draft class, just what he brings to the table. A lot of people use the Mitch Mars, Marner comparison. I do see it a little bit, but I do think he's, you know, a little bit more fluid of a skater and a little bit better of a passer. Uh, you know, both coming out of the draft at least. And yeah, I think Lucas Raymond's legit. I think he's going to fit well. Detroit does have some pieces. They do have a lot of good players. So uh, yeah, I like it. Eisenman did a great job there. All right. What about the ne- Sens next pick in Jake Sanderson? Did you like that pick for them or did he go too early? So I do love Jake Sanderson. I was the biggest Jamie Drysdale fan. So those are the two top defensemen that a lot of people were looking at. Uh, for the longest time, I had Drysdale over Sanderson. But the more I watched Sanderson, I realized that he was a – I think he was a more complete defenseman, uh, not as good offensively, but just an overall better defenseman. Uh, personally, I thought Ottawa jumped a little on Sanderson. I thought, you know, at that point, they sort of still need a little bit, some center depth in their prospect pool. And Marco Rossi would have been the perfect fit for them. I thought, uh, you know, Ottawa – playing for the Ottawa 67s, you'd think that the Senators would just fall in love with that guy after what he did this year or the past two years with the 67. So I thought that would have been a fit for him, but yeah, Sanderson's a great pick. It solidifies their defensive core for the future. And now they have four legitimate prospects that, you know, will show out that now they have Sanderson, Jacob Bernard Docker, then, you know, now legitimately on their NHL roster, they have Thomas Shabbat, who's one of the best young defensemen in the NHL, but as well as Eric Branstrom, who they got in the Mark Stone trade. So defensively, Ottawa looks really good. And with that Sanderson pick, that helps it out. All right. What do you think of the Anaheim Ducks pick and Jamie Drysdale? Obviously, you're a big fan of him. Do you think he should have gone at this spot? Or do you think that they should have swung on someone like a Marco Rossi, a Cole Perfetti, who went a little bit later? Yeah. Uh, you know, 
we saw Anaheim take the biggest. I think they took the biggest L of the expansion draft when they shipped uh, Shea Theodore because Shea Theodore, I think now is going to be a perennial. I think oh. that goes to Florida. They gave up oh. Riley Smith and Florida? Jonathan Marchessault. Riley Smith and Marchessault. Yeah, I think it's a no, toss. Theodore. Up. Theodore. I think I think it's a toss up between the two, but I think Shea, losing Shea Theodore, considering who they kept, they kept Vatanen and uh, who else? Manson as well. Manson, yeah. And they ended up trading Vatanen like later that year, or, like a year later. So they could have kept Theodore altogether. Even Minnesota, they they did it with Tuck. Anyways, I'm drifting off. But, uh, Anaheim needed to solidify their defensive core in terms of their prospect pool, and Jamie Drysdale is one of the best pros- defensive prospects I've seen, I think, in a while. Uh, I really like him what he does offensively. Uh, Erie's not the best team since uh, you know the Strom, the Brinkett, McDavid days. They haven't been the same. So Drysdale was asked to do a lot, and that's why, you know, a lot of people thought he wasn't responsible defensively. But I don't think that's the case. He was just put in a situation where he had to, you know, do a lot more than he was asked. So I think overall he's a great prospect, and, you know, uh, Anaheim to hit a home run with him. All right. And what about Jersey's next pick, Alexander Holtz? Yes. I, I am also a big fan of Alexander Holtz. This guy is awesome. He's the other, I guess, uh, the Terror Twins is a big thing that was big in the uh, NHL draft, which was the two Swedish wingers and Lucas Raymond and Alexander Holtz. They're both for real. I love uh, Alexander Holtz. He's a legitimate talent offensively, and I think he's going to be a perfect fit for either Jack Hughes or Nico Heischer on their wing. I think he can be ready in two to three years and provide, you know, offense right away. All right, next up. I have to admit, when they made this pick, all I did was laugh. Jack Quinn to the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, so that one was a little shocking. Uh, I understand why they picked up Jack Quinn, just because they wanted to, you know, pick that winger beside Eichel, blah, blah, blah. But let's be honest here. Jack Eichel's probably gone in a year or two. Like, <laughs> what, what does Buffalo have for them? So they drafted for positional need, which is something I don't think you should ever do. Uh when you're, you know, drafting in the top 10, I think you draft the best player available. And the entire year, uh, Marco Rossi and Jack Quinn played on the same line, and Marco Rossi was clearly the better player. Uh, Marco Rossi, I think, was the primary assist man for probably all of Jack Quinn's 50 goals, like, legitimately. If you were to watch an Ottawa 67 game, there, you would never choose Jack Quinn over Marco Rossi. So I think that's what Buffalo screwed up on. I see why they did it, but you know, they, they got to be real with themselves. Jack, Jack Eichel's probably gone in a year or two, so that, you know, that winger beside him doesn't matter. And then Judd Brackett promptly followed it up by dancing to the podium to select Marco Rossi immediately <laughs> after. I take it you like this pick, considering he was probably supposed to go top five. Yeah, I, I, he was number five on my list. I, I, I'm in love with the way Marco Rossi plays the sport. You know, I think a big reason why he fell so much in the draft was because he's 5'9". I think if you had two inches to his height, he's a top three pick. That's how talented he was. Uh, he's obviously has the older birthday, but we saw in his, you know, draft year last year, which was what, what he was supposed to because he's 2001 birth, he was dominant. And then this year, it was even more dominant. He dropped, I think, 120 points this year. And he's just a complete package offensively. And he's you know, despite being 5'9", he does have that big stocky frame, so it's a little tough to take the puck off him, and he's very creative. And, you know, outside of Alexi Lafreniere, I think he's the second most NHL-ready prospect, and I think he does slide and step into the NHL or he steps in overseas. 
Wow. That's a big statement there. Clearly Minnesota's going to be very happy with this player. Um, Huge for their future, especially when you look at their centers and Miko Koivu, they're letting go. They just got rid of Jordan, Jordan, no, Eric Stahl. Um, That's going to be a big boost to them. Uh, Next up we have Winnipeg just, Again, dancing to the podium to select Cole Perfetti. What do you think about this move for Winnipeg? Yeah, I think it's a steal. Uh, no one thought Cole Perfetti would be available at the 10th pick. I know the Jets weren't ready to have that, but uh, it's, a, it's a great fit for them. Uh, again, you draft best player available, and you heard the, the trade talks, the rumors with Patrick Laine or Nikolai Ehlers. Oh, excuse me. So I think, I think the Jets – put themselves in a position where, you know, they can trade a guy like Patrick Laine or Nikolai Ehlers because they have someone waiting in the balance and Nicole Perfetti, who I think, I think is a good winger. I think he's a winger rather than a center at the next level. And I think he's going to produce well. And he's such a great offensive talent. And uh, the Jets have put themselves in a really good spot after that Perfetti pick. Does he play in the NHL next year? No, no, I don't think so. I think he's, he comes back for another year. Uh, in junior and dominates again. Saginaw's got a really good team. Uh, I just don't think that – I think the only two guys that uh, should be playing in the NHL next year are Lafreniere and Rossi. I think Stutzla could play in the NHL as well. Uh, but other than that, I think everyone should return in junior or stay uh, with their respective pro clubs because uh, I don't think you should rush any prospect into the NHL. We saw – we saw it happen a bunch of times where you put an 18 year old against grown men and they're not ready for anything. Right. And then it ultimately just changes how they play. So, yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we're going to take a pause and we'll finish the next seven because uh, I also want to get your thoughts on the Montreal pick. So we'll do 17 uh, on top of Shakir Makamadul. We're going to have fun saying that name later. And Yegor Chinnikov, uh, because, wow. Uh, but we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back to finish out the top 17 and whoever those two picks were. All right, and we're back to finish off the top 17 and the two what-are-you-doing-and-thinking picks of the first round. Uh, so we'll start off with pick number 11, which went to the Nashville Predator- Predators, which made me very sad. Yaroslav Askarov, uh, goalie out of Russia. What do you think about this pick for Nashville? I think Yaroslav Askarov is the best goaltending prospect since Carrier Price. Uh, from all the film I've watched and how dominant he is, it was a great pickup for Nashville. You know, I think we're seeing it right now. Pekarine on the twilight of his career right now. So, you know, by the time Pekarine retires, I think Yaroslav Askarov slips in alongside UC Soros and, you know, Nashville is a really good goaltending situation. And yeah, I think he's legit. It was a great pickup for Nashville and I'm totally okay with taking a goaltender early because, you know, it's the most important position in, in hockey. It, it really is. If you don't have a goaltender, your team's going to stink. And we saw it this year, prime year, Tampa Bay, their number one goalie, Andre Vasilevsky drafted early in the first round. I think he was 16 or 17. It's worth taking the risk on a, on a goaltender because, Ultimately, it's the most important position. Yeah, I agree with that. I think he's going to be really good. 
goaltender in the future. And also just the fact that he has Rene as a mentor now and Saros, they can kind of like ease him in to uh to a starting goaltender situation at some point down the stretch. I think it I think it's a perfect fit. And yeah, I was hoping that he would fall to the Leafs at fifteen, but it is what it is. Yeah, it's the way life goes. Yeah, we should have seen it coming, but it still hurts. Um let's Move on to Florida, who took Anton Lundell. What did you think about that pick? Yeah, so I really like Anton Lundell. Uh, personally, he was a top 10 uh, prospect for me. So it's a real great fit for the Florida Panthers, who's obviously looking to, you know, bolster their prospect pool because they do have some prospects in the system. And, you know, ultimately now some of those prospects are going to jump up to the NHL. So they need some replenishment of that prospect pool. And, you know, Florida's in a position where they can take the best player available, and Anton Lundell was there. And, you know, he's having a real good start this year uh, playing pro overseas, and I think he's a real talented player. And, you know, Florida has had their success with, uh, you know, drafting Finnish centers, so hopefully this works out for Lundell and with the Panthers. Yeah, and we're going slightly north to Carolina next with Seth Jarvis, right winger. I absolutely in love with Seth Jarvis I love the way he plays he's such an electric offensive player uh, this year in Portland he was absolutely dominant you know Carolina they're also in that same position where they can just draft whoever the hell they want because their roster is so deep uh, we saw with you know in the playoff run although they didn't make it far they had eight top four defensemen like legitimately so their roster runs deep so they can draft whoever they want and drafting a guy like Seth Jarvis who I think is a you know tremendous offensive talent, but he still has a lot of room to grow. He still has to get stronger, get bigger. Uh, I think still has to get a little bit quicker on his feet, even though he's a decently fast player. But just overall, the little things, and I think Carolina can do that because they don't have to rush him in the NHL since they have so many you know prospects in the system. They can ease him in, you know, let him get comfortable uh, playing pro first, and then once he's in the NHL, he'll be ready. Yeah, he's only 5'10", 175, so hopefully you see him a little bit more and get a bit bigger um but it's a pick that i think a lot of people wanted the leafs to be able to take um who we'll get to in one more pick uh but first they had to get through the edmonton oilers who took dylan holloway what did you think about this pick yeah so i'm a really big fan of dylan holloway again he's also one of those older birthdays the 2001 so if he was you know uh, in last year's draft, I think he's a top 10 pick. That's how deep this draft is. He's a really talented player. Uh, Wisconsin had really, really high expectations. They had a really, you know, big recruiting class coming in this year. They had Turcotte, they had Cole Caulfield, and they had Dylan Holloway coming in. So there was a lot of pressure. And Holloway managed to play well in his freshman season because, you know, playing college hockey is a little tougher uh, than playing junior hockey because, you're an 18-year-old playing against 22-year-old men, 23-year-old men, 24-year-old men. So it's a little tough to dominate, you know, as a true freshman. And Don Holloway showed some flashes. He was very good, very effective. And, you know, I think he's going to be a good fit for to be a McDavid line mate or even as a second-line center for them. All right. And let's talk Leafs. Rodian Amarov. He's out of the KHL. He played in the MHL as well. He's six feet, 167 pounds. Uh, they have him on Sportsnet listed as a right winger. First of all, what do you think of the pick? Second of all, is he a right winger? And third of all, what do you project him to become? So 
I've had this conversation where they think five different Leaf fans that were pissed at the drafted defenseman. So I'm just going to say for the sake of this show, Rodion Amirov is a legit prospect. He is awesome. Uh, I think drafting a defenseman was not a great idea for the Leafs at this point because ultimately drafting a defenseman doesn't help them for what they truly need is a defenseman for now. You know, drafting a defenseman right now, you're probably going to be waiting five years to wait for him to develop. And, you know, that's past the Leafs window. Let's be real here. They, they only have a small window to win the Stanley Cup because, you know, who knows what could happen with their salary cap and, what, uh, salary cap and whatnot. <laughs> no, no, no. You said it best there. You said it yeah. best. <laughs> salary cap. <laughs> Anyways, so honestly, they drafted the best player available at that point, and Royal Mirov was that. I think he's just an absolutely amazing offensive talent. I do think he could be a winger in the future. I think he's one of those guys where you can plug him as a center or plug him in as a winger. Regardless, he is going to get you, you know, production and be effective. So what I've seen from him, he's been real effective in the KHL. I think he's going to be a top six forward. He's 19 and he's putting up decent numbers in the KHL, which is something that's pretty unheard of nowadays. So he's doing great. I think he's going to be a terrific prospect for them. And also, this also puts him in another situation where, you know, say, uh, you know, a year from now in the trade deadline, they want to go and grab a big fish. And, you know, Rodion Amirov could be that guy where they ship him off for that big piece. So this gives the Leafs a lot of uh, flexibility and comfort and also just another person to add in their prospect pool. Yeah, it's a really interesting player. And he's, I think he has five points through 10 games in the KHL as a 19-year-old uh, or 18 or 19-year-old. What do you think he will become? Do you think he's a top six winger? Or do you think he's more of a middle six guy? Uh, you mentioned that he might be able to play center, which would be pretty big. What do you think, if you had to guess today, he becomes in the NHL? So are you saying projection is as in like when he can step in to the NHL? More so what he would become, but also when he would step in. That'd be great too. <laughs> yeah, I think personally, I think he's a top six forward. Uh, I think he slides into the Leafs or, uh, top six, you know, once he steps into the NHL. I think he's that big of a prospect that he'll just jump into the NHL right away. But I also think it's a, it's a matter of the Leafs should be patient with him. Uh, obviously they're not in a rush to acquire offensive talent and put them on the, uh, on their roster right away. So, you know, you let them, you let them play in the KHL for a bit. We saw it be really successful for a lot of guys. A lot of people mentioned it last night. You saw the Kuznetsov, they waited for him. The Tarasenko, they waited for him. You know, you got to be patient with some of the Russian players and, you know, Vancouver's doing it uh, with their last year prospect in Vasily Potkolzin. So they just got to be patient. Uh, and I do think he's going to be really successful at the next level. All right. Aiden, do you have any sort of thoughts on the Leafs pick? I like the pick. I agree with Rain that it wasn't necessary to take a defenseman because, you know, that's what they need now and not in like five years. You take the best guy available. I think Amarov was probably the best forward available. Um, I know he's good two-way. I know he's a pretty fast skater. Um, good hands. I saw him pull off the Michigan. Speaking of Michigan, I saw him pull up that off in the KHL, so that's impressive. Um, you can't really ask for too much more. Like maybe they could have traded down with a team like I don't know Calgary, who uh, who did end up trade trading their pick. Um, but I don't know. And maybe you trade down and still get Amarov and then acquire a pick later on. But uh, yeah, I can't really complain. I think. I think Kyle made the right choice with this one. All right. 
Do you think that Montreal made the right pick with Caden Gooley? See, that's one where I'm like, so this, this draft class is so deep with so much offensive talent. Uh, personally, Montreal didn't need to draft a, a defensive prospect, but they're also in a position where they do have a deep uh, prospect pool. They do have some prospects in the system. So I guess it's replenishing that, uh, you know, saying Romanov is coming up this year. So, yeah, I personally didn't like the pick. I do like Kian Gouley as a prospect. It's just there were so many, you know, for, uh, for prospects that they had options with, and the fact they didn't choose to pull the trigger on it's a little tough, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, and they passed on guys like Dawson Mercer and uh, a few other guys who fell pretty far. Um, but we'll wrap up our in-order picks with Chicago's pick, Lucas Reichel. Do you like this pick for Chicago, and do you think that this is where he should have gone? Yeah, I, I love Lucas Reichel. I think he was a really underrated prospect. He was jumping on a lot of boards uh, uh, later in the year. I think he's a great playmaker. You know, again, with the situation in Germany and playing in the Dell, he was putting up really good numbers, you know, for in a pro league as a 19-year-old. It's, you know, it's really impressive regardless to be doing stuff like that. And, you know, Chicago – they have options as well. Uh, they're not looking to draft now. They look to draft the best player available. And Lucas Reichel did show some flashes as well in the World Juniors. Uh, I, I like the pick a lot. Uh, Chicago does really well with drafting European players, it seems, and, you know, finding that European talent. So I do trust uh, the, the scouting uh, staff there. So I do like Lucas Reichel. He's a great playmaker. Uh, he's a great, uh, you know. Uh, it was really weird because – with Lucas Reichel and the Dell, he wasn't trying to push up play much just because he's such a, a young kid and, you know, he had his line mates help him out. But, you know, he's a fantastic playmaker. He does have a really accurate shot, which was something I, I really like. He doesn't have that, you know, bomb of a shot where, you know, he's going to wire it from the top of the circle straight top left. It's just, a, you know, wherever he needs to shoot, he's a really accurate player like that. So, yeah, I really enjoy the pick. I think it's a good fit. And, you know, possibly in the future, that's going to be a winger for Kirby Doc. All right. And what do you think he's going to become? Same vein as we asked with Amarov. Yeah. So I do think that maybe he's a fringe top six guy, middle six guy, that sort of thing. I do think he can put up 40, 50 points, maybe 50, 60. It's hard to deal with projections at this point. One thing I do want him to do, though, instead of staying in the Dell, I do want him to come to North America and, you know, play junior hockey. And, you know, I think if he plays junior hockey, I forget where he got drafted to in the import draft, but if he plays junior hockey, he's going to be really a really dominant player. He's going to be really comfortable. He's going to have the opportunity to be the main guy there, which is something that's really important in someone's development. Uh, playing in the Dell in Germany, he won't have that same comfort and same luxury. Whereas if he goes to North America and plays on a junior team, he's going to be the main priority, get power play time, stuff like that. So I do think that would be really important for him. All right. Now let's talk the two shockers of the first round is probably the best way to describe it, both as everybody was shocked and they were shockingly bad. Um, first of all, the Devils took Shakir Makamadoulin. I think I said that correctly. Yeah. He Sounds was right. ranked. Uh, I have it down written here. He was ranked. Uh, oh, I don't have it for him. I have it for the next guy. But he was pulled by like 50 spots 
I think he was ranked in the 70s on some boards. Do you like this? Like, I, I'm going to assume you don't like this pick. Why I did like this pick though? That's the you thing. like this pick. Like Why this. do you like this pick? So, uh, there's this Russian uh, hockey scout that I I like to talk to and get his opinions off of, and he was a really big fan of Shakir Mukhamadulin. Uh, obviously, I wouldn't have picked him in the first round, but I see why New Jersey did it. Uh, maybe they thought that someone was going to take him, you know, even before them. You don't. They didn't have a pick for a while. I think after that, not until the second round. So, there was a chance that he was taken in the second round. But I do like him as a prospect. I think uh, he'll be a great player for New Jersey. I think it's a little weird though because the thing that people forget about uh, the NHL draft and like you know people going up and people going down is every NHL team has their own different draft board and you know they build it on their own based on who they see as you know will fit that mold. So. I think he's a great prospect, but it's a little weird to, you know, draft him that early. I think he could have been available, but, you know, personally, I like the New Jersey pick. And as for the Columbus pick, I'll let you go into that first. Yeah, Yegor Chinnikov was taken immediately after this. That was a massive reach. Uh, Corey Pronman had him at number 125 on his board. Uh, the consensus pick for him was 132nd, and he went 21st. What do you think of this pick and how bad is it? Look, <laughs> I guarantee that he would have been available wherever Columbus picked within the first three or four rounds. So there was no point of drafting in the first round. So it shocked me. It shocked me a lot. Uh, personally, I only knew him, like, I think from one game, I think. I think I forget where, but we also had a profile of him on McKean, so right after I read it right away. But with Igor Chinikov, there's one thing that I will do, and I will always trust Yarmo Kekalainen. He is incredible at finding talent, so I'm not going to judge him on this one, even though he could have picked him up in the third or fourth round and maybe got someone a little, you know, a little better value with their first-round pick. But I will trust Yarmo Kekalainen, considering he likes to make those big jumps and try to get those players, and it always seems to work out. Like, it worked out in St. Louis. You know, Vladimir Tarasenko, no one wanted to pick up on him because of the Russian factor of it, you know, he didn't, maybe he didn't want to come to North America, but Yarmo took a chance on him and it worked out. You know, the following year, he did it again with Jaden Schwartz. You know, Jaden Schwartz wasn't supposed to be a first round pick. He was supposed to be, I think, a second round pick. And yet Yarmo took a risk on him. He's a, you know, great hockey mind. So I'm going to trust him on this one. But if it doesn't work out, oof, that's tough. Yeah, I am not sure about that pick personally, but <laughs> It is what it is, I guess. Um, let's take a look at team-specific now. Uh, we'll start with the first pick, team-specific, being the Blackhawks' Drew Comesso. Comesso? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Goalie. Yeah. Uh, took him in the second round. What do you think about this pick? Yeah, so this was the, the draft pick for the Robin Leonard trade. So ah, okay. ultimately it works out. Uh, obviously it was such a weird situation because – you know, no one would have thought in March when they made that, or in February when they made, they made that trade that they'd be playing in the playoffs against each other. You know, that's the way 2020 has been. So I do like the uh, the pick a lot. Uh, Chicago's very thin uh, goaltending-wise in their prospect pool. They just released uh, Alexi Gravel, which was one of their main prospect, uh, prospect goaltenders. But I really like Drew Camiso, uh, Camesso. I forget how to pronounce it. He was my uh, 
my second or third goaltending prospect that I had. Uh, Joel Blomqvist is the other one. He's a really good goaltender. So it was honestly a toss-up between the two. But I knew it was going to be a big priority for the Blackhawks to acquire a goaltender just because it's so thin there. Uh, so, yeah, I really like the pick. I think you should – goaltenders, it's different with development. Same thing with defensemen as well. you got to take a little time with them. It's a little different to develop. Obviously, the one outlier is Carter Hart. Uh, he came in right away and has been a stud ever since. But with, I think, 95% of goaltenders, it takes a few years for them to, to get used to the, the NHL level. Yeah, and Blomqvist uh, went, I think, seven picks later. He went to Pittsburgh. So pretty close, clearly, on value. Um, one thing I did forget to mention during our little discussion was Robin Leonard signed a five-year, $5 million per extension with Vegas. Mm-hmm. Does this pain you? Uh looking at it as a Blackhawks fan. And what do you think about the contract? I think it's a great contract. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury obviously had a down year. Uh, I don't know what the future holds for uh, for him, but, you know, it'll be interesting. But it does pain me a little bit uh, just because, uh, hey, we could have had him for that playoff run, man. Like, I'm going to be honest, we could have had him. But who knew, who would have known that the Blackhawks would have made the playoffs, right? That's just crazy to me. So. Yeah, it pains me a little bit. I thought Robin Leonard was going to be a Blackhawk for a little bit longer than half a season, but it is what it is. They got a second-round pick out of it. They drafted a really good goal-attending prospect, so we'll see what happens. All right, and we're moving on to our next Leafs pick, being Ronnie Hirvinen, I believe is how you pronounce it. He's a center, another small guy. He's 5'9", 164. What do you think about this pick? Yeah, I think he's a great defenseman. Hey, that, that's, that was, that's what Leaf fans wanted, right? The he's a centerman. Defenseman. So, he's oh, a centerman. Oh, this is Hervon. Oh, I thought we were talking about Nimala. Sorry. No, he's so, next. He's <laughs> next. Okay, yeah. Hervon, great prospect. He is awesome. I really like him just because, you know, once again, the Leafs are in a situation where they don't have to – they have a pretty deep prospect pool, so the best thing to do is just to draft the best player available. And in terms of this case, they hit a home run. They ended up getting the two draft picks for uh, Tyler Clevin, who they traded for to the Ottawa Senators for in that uh, little switcheroo. So, Irvin and great prospect, and then the one the one big prospect I'm really excited for for the Leafs is Topi Nimala, which we'll get to in the next uh, next prospect we talk about. Speaking of Topi Nimala, Topi Nimala was the next pick. He's a defenseman, 5'11", 150. Wow, he's skinny, one fifty six. Um, what do you think about this signing? Obviously, I sort of cut you off a little bit when you're initially going off, but what do you think about this signing? Yeah, sorry about that. I got the two fins mixed up. So, Topi Nimala was a guy I followed a lot. Uh, so, this guy is actually a pretty good defensive defenseman. He's really responsible on his own end, considering how, you know, how big he is. And he was really productive on the defensive end, considering he's playing against grown men, which is something that's very uncommon. Uh, usually, you get that young guy. He's a really good offensive player and doesn't know how to play defense, where this time it's the other way around. He's a really responsible defenseman. And I think the thing that will make him from good to great is if he can improve that offensive output. If he gets a little more confidence and literally, and honestly just, you know, develops that, you know, chemistry and confidence to provide more upside offensively, it'd make him a great defenseman. Is he left or right-handed? I think he's a right-handed defenseman. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's a right-handed defenseman. From the, I remember the film I was watching. I think he was a right-handed defenseman. I'm going to make sure. Well, it would be very beneficial if you were a right-handed defenseman. He's right-handed. The right-handed. Yes. There yeah. you go. So potentially a future key part of the Leafs if he yeah. pans out. Literally. 
Um, but we'll move on to the next pick, which is 79 for Chicago. Landon Sliger, mm-hmm. left winger, six foot 180. What do you think about this pick? Yeah, so actually I watched him more in his minor midget year when he was playing for the Chicago Mission. He's a really good offensive player. Uh, I, you know, that 2 national development program team, they're decent. Uh, he got a decent amount of playing time, put up decent numbers, but I think the main thing for him will be developing uh, at Notre Dame. I think uh, after a few years of, you know, getting used to the system and getting used to college hockey and ultimately developing yourself as a player, I think he could be a real steal for the Blackhawks. All right, and two picks later, they took Wyatt Kaiser. Yeah, so Wyatt Kaiser, I didn't know too much about him, but I think he's the he was playing high school in Minnesota, high school hockey in Minnesota. Yeah, and he's committed to Minnesota Duluth, I think. I'm not sure about that. Uh, he's a defenseman, six foot one seventy three. Yeah, so honestly, the Blackhawks have done a pretty good job, you know, drafting high school players that will end up you know, playing division one hockey. So I'm a really, I, I liked Wyatt Kaiser, like from the, from what I've talked to with other scouts and other people that they did like him as a player. And ultimately Chicago does a really well job in, uh, you know, drafting players and, uh, you know, filling up the prospect system. So I do trust them. And I just, this is just funny, not related to the Blackhawks or Leafs, but two picks later, the Kings couldn't get Lafreniere. So they took Alex Laferriere. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kind of hilarious. Uh, yeah. Nico Dawes went immediately after that. And mm-hmm. He's someone who I think fell pretty far, correct? Uh, not necessarily. I think he was, you know, in that range of a fourth round, third round selection. I thought he was – so in terms of goalies, I think the, the, the biggest tier is Yaroslav Askarov, like best goaltending prospect since Price. Then a tier below it is your Camiso uh, and Blomqvist. And then your third tier is the Nico Dawes. All right. Well, let's talk about another goalie, which is the next Leafs pick in Archer Aktiamov. Aktiamov? Aktiamov. Aktiamov? I think so. Something with a lot of letters together that don't make sense. (laughs) Uh, He's 6'1", 167, goalkeeper from Russia, the Junior League. Yeah. So, personally, I didn't watch a lot of MHL highlights or of Arthur Akimov, but the Leafs, they do actually have a good set of goaltending prospects in the system. Ian Scott's decent. Uh, I'm a big fan of Joseph Wall. I think he can be an NHL goalie within a few years. I've been a fan of him since his, you know, Boston days and, you know, even in the World Juniors as well. I think he's a legit goaltending prospect, but, you know, it's good for the Leafs to, you know, refill that cupboard uh, for them. Uh, Usually they draft pretty well. Drafting the Russian guys, we saw with Rodion Amirov. They took Shoshnikov a while back. <laughs> SDA is a great player as well. Uh, Korshkov might be a good player as well. So I do like drafting Russians, and I do trust their, their scouting staff. Yeah, and uh, Josh Cloak just re- tweeted this. Uh, he believes this is the first time in Leafs draft history that they have not chosen a North American player with their first four picks. So that's really interesting that they're going a lot more European this year, but they do have one more pick left in the fourth round, but we haven't gotten there. Um, Pick that was just made was Chicago's and this will be the last pick we talk about. Michael Crudel played for Sparta 
Uh, he's a defenseman, 6'3", 202, so he's a big boy. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about him? Yeah, I do like Michael Crudel. Uh, Chicago does need to uh, – so we have Ian Mitchell coming up, who's a you know, top prospect from Denver. You know, defensively, they sort of lost, like, their, you know, their depth defensively with the prospects because Adam Boakfast just came up, Nick Bodan's coming up soon, and then obviously Ian Mitchell – I did like Michael Crudel. Didn't watch too much of him. Watched a few games of him uh, when he was playing for the Czech national team. So, you know, some stuff to like with them. And, again, the Blackhawks are good with drafting Czech guys. Dominic Kubalik, or they, they snagged Dominic Kubalik in that trade. So, yeah. All right. And some more info around the Domi potential deal is coming out. Believed to be around. This hasn't been confirmed. Nobody's tweeted this. Uh, but the rumors are it's going to be around two years, five million AAV. So we'll see. Probably by the time we finish recording, that'll fully be out. But interesting that's like to the see that. that's like the Kubalik deal that Rain was talking about earlier. Yeah, exactly. So would you rather have Dominic Kubalik or Max Domi? <laughs> Give me Kubalik. <laughs> All right. Uh, but with that, we're going to stop talking about actual picks specifically. And I want to ask both of you, because Aiden, you are not somebody who follows the draft very closely, uh, but I want to get your take on this. What was your favorite pick of the draft for any team? And what was your least favorite pick so far of the draft? Okay, so I'll start off with the least favorite pick because we always like to end off positively. I think it's the Jack Quinn over Marco Rossi that just had me super confused. That was, it was just so hard to see that happen. And you watch Jack Quinn, and how do you not see that Marco Rossi was the, the driving force of that line? And it's just because of the size. But uh, for my favorite, favorite pick, I'd probably say in the second round, uh, who was it here? Who ended up taking them? Yeah, so the San Jose Sharks, they took Thomas Bordalo with the 38th pick. Mm-hmm. Thomas Bordalo is actually heading to Michigan of all places, so that's probably why one of the main guys I – Got to scout a lot. So the cool thing with Michigan, they have a like a historic, you know, freshman class coming in. They have, uh, you know, two top three prospects next year and Owen Power and Kent Johnson, but also first round pick this year in Brendan Brisson. So they have numerous players coming in and Thomas Bordalo sort of flew under the radar. He was actually one of the most productive players on that national team last year alongside of Jake Sanderson. You know, he's a legit player and I think he's going to be a real good fit for them. All right, Aiden. All right. What is your least favorite pick and your favorite pick? It's hard to go second because Rain knows it so well. It's like I got to agree with him. Um, I I don't like the Jack Quinn pick, but um, I don't know. There's some other picks that I weren't I wasn't too sure on. Caden Gooley for Montreal. I heard some bad things. Apparently, the Leafs were looking at getting him. Um, I don't know if he's going to be as good. I know he has a brother in the league. I think the the brother's going to end up being better than him. Um. For my favorite pick, though, it's got to be Tim Stotzel or Stutzla, just because of the way that they announced the pick with yeah. Uh, yeah. with Alex Trebek. Um, and I do think that it was a good pick as well. Like they could have gone with Raymond, but um, I think just the fact that Stutzla can play center as well, um, and you know Ottawa already has you know Kachuk as their big winger. I think they needed some more help up the middle, so maybe they look at putting Stutzla as their center. I know he can play wing as well, but we'll see what happens there. Um, so yeah, I think Stutzler will be the, my favorite pick. And then 
sorry, Buffalo, but you guys aren't looking too good. Jack Quinn is my least favorite pick. All right. And I'll round us out before we do our hot takes. Uh, I'm going to give two favorite picks because I think one, both of these guys should have gotten it. First of all, I'm going to go Ozzy Weisblatt, not because of the player, but because of the way that they announced it and the celebration he had afterwards. Uh, if you didn't see, uh, I think it was the GM of the Sharks. I'm not 100% on that. Signed his name because his mother is deaf. And that was really cool. And his entire family was there and they just lost their minds. So I thought that was great. But I'm going to go with Yaroslav Askarov as my favorite pick because I think he's going to be the goalie of the future. And for the Predators to be able to transition from Pekka Rene to Askarov is insane. In terms of my least favorite pick, I'm going to again take two. Uh, Shakir Makamadoulin, even though it's a great name, I hate it. Uh, it's not a very good pick. And of course, Yegor Chinakov. But with that, we need to do our, to do our hot takes. Yo, if so, you look at if you look at sportsnet.ca right now and you look at like the tracker, the Leafs' 15th overall pick is blank. There's no oh, yeah. Amrov anymore. I just <laughs> noticed that. Did they just trade him? <laughs> Did they already sign him and trade him? I don't know what happened. I don't know. Just a glitch. Nothing on Twitter, but <laughs> that's weird. Uh, we'll have to watch that. Um, <laughs> hot takes. We'll see if it breaks in the next five minutes if anything happened. <laughs> Who... Which, who wants to go first? Oh, he's back. That was weird. Hmm. Um, I guess I can go first. Do you, any of you have one prepared? I'm thinking of one on the spot. All be, right. I'll like, I could say on... something crazy, but... Um, say okay. something crazy. Okay, fine. All right, here we go. I think this offseason is going to be a big trade. Huge trade. One of the captains is going to get traded. One of the captains who just won the Stanley Cup is going to get traded. Ooh. I think Steven Stamkos will be dealt by the Tampa Bay Lightning this offseason. It's not possible. Yeah, that's interesting. He has a no move. It's going to happen, Connor. That's why it's a hot take. <laughs> that's why it's a hot take. <laughs> You'd have to wave his no move, and I just don't see that happening. But it's a good hot take. Good hot take. Rain, do you have one? Yeah, this is a, this is a homer pick, but I think it actually could happen. I think the Indianapolis Colts can win the AFC South and make it to the AFC Championship game. <laughs> I think they're that good. Have you seen that defense? Really? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. That defense is legit. And Phillip Rivers will get used to it. T.Y. Hilton will wake up. And I think I think their AFC Championship mentality, I think they could actually make it. Surprise. I mean, it, it is the worst division in football, so there's a well, chance. Not anymore. I would say not anymore, but the Texans have made it the worst division. No. Dallas's division. They're the worst division. Yeah, in Dallas is bad. Yeah, Dallas can still make the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. jeez. Yeah. yeah. Last year, the Colts at the AFC South was crazy good. Actually, no, it wasn't. Jacksonville sucked. But, yeah, usually there's – Jacksonville's two- surprising this year. Like, Minshew's yeah. actually playing decent. It's weird, man. Minshew's actually pretty good. Jacob Robinson's a beast. Yeah, I know. He's good. He's a beast. So, it works out for them, but – Hey, maybe, you know, it doesn't work out. Colts don't make the AFC Championship game, and next year they trade for Matthew Stafford. I'll take or, it. <laughs> or this or this year. This you never year. know. I'll take it. I love that. You, you, might, you might have to give us your first-round pick, though. I'll take it. Like, we don't need the picks anymore. Our, our team's deep. We just need a quarterback. Like, if Andrew Luck was, you know, their quarterback, 
Oh my god, dude, he's so good. But he retired early. Yeah. I hope it happens. I, I do want Stafford to go to a team where he has a shot at winning the Super Bowl because I just don't see it happening with the Lions, and I think he's kind of falling off a cliff. I'm sure when he leaves the Patricia system and he goes to a, a better team, like he's going he's gonna to be MVP caliber, I think. Yeah, me too. Me too. But people sleep on him because he's you know, playing for the Lions. Yeah, exactly. Everybody sleeps on the Lions. Nobody, nobody knows that the Lions are a team in the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, but they have talent, man, and like they have talent. You're right. Those leads, man. Like they're a playoff team. Like last year, if Stafford doesn't get injured, they make it to the playoffs. So what I see, he was he was MVP caliber before the injury. For sure, definitely, you're right. But I with Patricia, like I don't don't, I don't think so. Like if they have Jim Caldwell still, I think they'd make it. But no. Yeah. Actually, I have I have another hot take. Actually, talking about talking about football, NFL. I think the Lions will fire Matt Patricia by the trade deadline, and then next year they're going to rehire Jim Caldwell as the coach. Oh. Yeah. You think Jim yeah. Caldwell will take it, though? I think so. I, I think if, if the GM is gone, too. They, can't, they have to oh. fire both GM and Patricia, and then he'll come back, yeah. I think the Fords really like him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay, I like that. I like that. I like- <laughs> All right, so we're getting four hot takes today then. <laughs> well, we'll see if mine is hot or not. Um, my hot take, Doc Rivers completely changes the Philadelphia Flyers, and they go to the NBA final next year. The Flyers. 76. Did I say Flyers? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that would be quite a hot take. He switches sports. Cool. He goes to the final. NBA finals? Unheard of. Philadelphia 76ers. <laughs> oh, that was a that was a brutal one right there. Happens to the best of us. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, yeah, so on that complete and utter failure, we end. We say thank you to Rain for coming and joining us for this extra long. Well, I say extra long, probably around two and a half hour podcast. Um and talking all things draft with us as it is still happening. But yes, we really, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, we will leave links to everything he's done down below, uh, including McKean's, Puck Preps, Oakville Blades, OHL Network, um, his U Sports stuff, his Twitter account, everything. The Year 5 Collective, which we didn't even talk about. Um, <laughs> his fan-sided stuff, although I don't think you write for them anymore. Not uh, anymore i'm probably gonna join back soon but i don't think i have the time right now <laughs> well we'll link to everything including his flip snack so you can go and check that out but thank you for listening thank you for watching thank you for tuning in next week is our first week on spirit live so we'll be doing the show live on spirit yeah. live you can check us out we are wednesdays three to four mm-hmm. uh we're also going to hopefully stream on youtube although we'll see if my computer can handle it because we were going to try that with this episode and it just didn't really work um but keep an eye on all of our social medias you can find me on twitter at cwg somerville you can find rain at bringer of rain aiden you can with find an e, on Instagram. with an e with an e yeah no. with an e uh, <laughs> aiden you can find on instagram at Aiden Silifant, just Aiden Silifant. And 
Huh? Come on. Unlimited. At Unlimited Pod on Instagram as go. well. Matt Patricia, roast coming tomorrow. <laughs> yes. And you can check out, I just moved or announced a move uh, to Fansided with my MLS podcast. So our first episode's going up hopefully Wednesday night, maybe as late as Friday. We don't really know. It depends on when I can edit it. But thank you for listening. We will see you next week where we will hopefully have Alex Petrangelo as a Toronto Maple Leaf. Peace.